Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's a free-for-all edition Flyover Politics Podcast. Woohoo! The America I see values basic human decency, not snatching children from their parents or turning our back on refugees at our border. Americans know that's not right. The American people understand, please, because it makes us embarrassing. The American people know overwhelmingly that that's not right. That's not who we are. And when America leads by example at home, we extend our moral authority to lead abroad. The American people understand that as well. And so that's why there's such a, 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 so much upset in America about this, what I call the, 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 the struggle for America's soul. It goes beyond a single issue. It goes to who we are, what we stand for. America is led not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. And the example we're setting. Well, I should stop. The America I see doesn't embrace the self-defeating tariffs and trade wars that are underway. America was built on innovation and creativity. We demand to be treated fairly, but there is no one in the world, anywhere in the world, that we're afraid to compete with, if even there's close to a level playing field. Nowhere. It's who we are, how we define ourselves. The Republican and Democratic leaders of the Senate Intelligence Committee at odds over the conclusion of their investigation. The heads of the Senate Intelligence Committee have been working together, but this is a significant disagreement. Yeah, George, for a committee here that has managed to so far conduct a bipartisan investigation, this is now a rare public rift. The Republican chairman, Richard Burr, says that as of now, they have found no factual evidence of collusion. But he notes that their investigation is not yet complete. But the top Democrat on the committee, Senator Mark Warner, tells us that he respectfully disagrees, that he's not ready to draw any conclusions since their probe is still ongoing. Our bottom line for this story is that after two years, 200 interviews, 300,000 documents, the Senate the Intelligence Committee, both Republicans and Democrats, are telling us that they do not have direct evidence proving a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia, which is, after all, the main question they set out to answer. NBC News exclusive reporting on the Senate Intelligence Committee, their investigation into Russian election interference and what they have and have not uncovered. NBC's Ken Delanian has just jumped in front of a camera to join me with his new reporting. So, Ken, what are you hearing? What are you learning? Hallie, after two years and interviewing more than 200 witnesses, the Senate Intelligence Committee has not uncovered any direct evidence of a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia. That's according to sources on both the Republican and the Democratic side of the aisle, Hallie. And careful viewers and readers will note that Senator Richard Burr, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee who leads this probe, 
essentially said that in an interview with another network last week. But what I've been doing since then is checking with my sources on the Democratic side to understand the full context of his remarks, because that was essentially a partisan comment from from one side. But this is a bipartisan investigation. And what I found is that the Democrats don't dispute that characterization. It's certainly a very candid conversation. I've only read an excerpt from the book, but he is he's speaking very candidly about his feelings for the president and his impression of the president. Was there anything in the interview that surprised you about what he was saying? Gail, the, the most illuminating and surprising thing in the interview to me were these eight days in May yeah. when all of these things were happening behind the scenes that the American people really didn't know about. There were meetings at the Justice Department in which it was discussed whether the vice president and a majority of the cabinet could be brought together to remove the president of the United States under the 25th Amendment. These were the eight days from Comey's firing to the point that Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel. And the highest levels of American law enforcement were trying to figure out what to do with the president. And I just want to put a finer point on that because there has been report but I don't believe there has been a source that went on the record to confirm that that 25th Amendment was discussed about removing the president. So McCabe is saying that that was discussed. Absolutely. McCabe, uh, Nora, as you point out, is the very first person involved in these meetings who has come out and spoken publicly. That there was a discussion underway about removing the president of the United States. There, they were counting noses. They were not, not asking cabinet members whether they would vote for or against removing the president, but they were speculating this person would be with us, that person would not be, and they were counting noses in that effort. And this was not perceived to be a joke. This was not perceived to be a joke. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 17th of February, year of our Lord, 2019. And as you heard on the beginning, that's McCabe. It was a coup, just like we've always said it was a coup. It's just a coup. Yeah, and Biden saying America is an embarrassment overseas. That's how he's starting it. We're going to see some very extreme stuff today. We 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 on the left, not we on the left, but the left has taken extreme stances because they've had a really bad month. I mean, it, nothing's going their way, uh, as stated. The, the ring, the little freaking bumpers. It's it's a free for all. So we're going to go into the. McCabe interview. I'm going to play another soundbite in a second to show. I mean, it was a coup. They won the 25th. They just started the investigation to get them. We even have emails saying they were trying to minimize the investigation on Hillary. That they've they've unearthed a whole bunch of stuff. Media's not going to report that. They're still doubling down that they're going to find other ways to get Trump because it's all about Trump. Smollett's story fell apart. Yeah, it's bad. And the media's not owning it. And, you know, I, it, you say, well, we already covered this last podcast. No, no, now it's for real. CNN even put it out last night. Really, really late. Nobody's retracting. And we're going to show all the people that automatically said all white people, all people that support Trump, all conservatives, all Christians. If we just keep going down the road. And the many, many, many false reports the media drop. We're going to a quick section on the border. It's mostly sound bites because, as I said, they're going they're going so far left they don't know what to do. We're going to have an AOC and Omar section. We're going to keep having this section, and in the background, you will hear March of the Empire because they are so extreme. I don't even know. I I, 
I'm just going to be speechless most of this section. I mean, these people are out of control. And then we'll finish with news and social media nuggets. So if Biden saying America's a base embarrassment overseas and pulling a Obama uh, apology tour was bad enough, this McCabe soundbite is just un-American. Extraordinary revelations in his first TV interview since being fired. The former FBI's former director is telling 60 Minutes why he launched investigations into President Trump. If you remember, Andrew McCabe was a career official at the Justice Department who oversaw the Bureau's investigations into Russia's election meddling and Hillary Clinton's emails. He took over as acting FBI director in May of 2017 after James Comey was fired. In his new book, The Threat, How the FBI Protects America in the Age of Terror and Trump, McCabe describes extraordinary measures Justice Department officials took after Comey's firing. He says he was concerned about the president's possible ties to Russia. Now, remember last March, about one day before McCabe was scheduled to retire, he was fired by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The Justice Department accused McCabe of misleading investigators about sharing information with the media. Now, he denies any wrongdoing, but as a result of his firing, McCabe did not receive his full benefits and is considering a lawsuit. Well, now, in an interview with Scott Pelley for Sunday's 60 Minutes, McCabe discussed a meeting with the president in the Oval Office just hours after Comey was fired. I was speaking to the man who had just run for the presidency and and won the election for the presidency and who might have done so with the aid of the government of Russia, our most formidable adversary on the world stage. And that was something that troubled me greatly. How long was it after that that you decided to start the obstruction of justice and counterintelligence investigations involving the president? I think the next day I met with the team investigating the Russia cases and uh, I asked the team to go back and conduct an assessment to determine where are we with these efforts and what steps do we need to take going forward i was very concerned that i was able to put the russia case on absolutely solid ground in an indelible fashion that were i removed quickly or reassigned or fired that the case could not be closed or uh, vanish in the night without a trace i wanted to make sure that our case was on solid ground and if somebody came in behind me and closed it and tried to walk away from it they would not be able to do that without creating a record of why they would made that decision you wanted a documentary record that's right that those investigations had begun because you feared that they would be made to go away that's exactly right The White House responded to the opening of that investigation, calling it completely baseless investigation. But now we're hearing directly from McCabe as he tells his own story with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Uh, This is fascinating to see what you've learned in this interview. He was a career FBI uh, professional. This is the first time, however, that he's confirmed he opened that investigation. Why? Well, it was about eight days in May in 2017, right after Jim Comey was fired. And McCabe describes a chaotic time, especially at the Justice Department, when questions are being asked whether Jim Comey was fired to obstruct the Russia investigation. And if so, is the president an agent of Russia? There were two investigations, Nora. One, a criminal investigation. The other, a counterintelligence investigation. 
McCabe told us that he had many reasons to open both of those investigations, and as we just heard him say, he wanted to get those investigations opened so that if he got fired right away, they wouldn't just disappear. What did he say about friction in the White House after the firing of Comey? Well, he tells the story, John, of the president repeatedly in meetings and phone calls trying to convince him, McCabe, that everyone at the FBI wanted Comey fired mm -hmm. and that everyone was very happy about that. And McCabe talks about the interview, it talks in the interview on 60 Minutes about him telling the president, no, sir, that's not what happened. I'm encountering people in the hallway who are in tears mm -hmm. over the firing of Jim Comey. And he says it was at that point that he realized that if he hadn't burned the bridge with the president, he could certainly smell it smoking. It's certainly a very candid conversation. And I've only read an excerpt from the book, but he is he's speaking very candidly about his feelings for the president and his impression of the president. Was there anything in the interview that surprised you about what he was saying? Gail, the, the most illuminating and surprising thing in the interview to me were these eight days in May yeah. when all of these things were happening behind the scenes that the American people really didn't know about. There were meetings at the Justice Department in which it was discussed whether the vice president and a majority of the cabinet could be brought together to remove the president of the United States under the 25th Amendment. These were the eight days from Comey's firing to the point that Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel. And the highest levels of American law enforcement were trying to figure out what to do with the president. And I just want to put a finer point on that because there has been reporting, but I don't believe there has been a source that went on the record to confirm that the 25th Amendment was discussed about removing the president. So McCabe is saying that that was discussed. Absolutely. McCabe, uh, Nora, as you point out, is the very first person involved in these meetings who has come out and spoken publicly. That there was a discussion underway about removing the president of the United States. There, they were counting noses. They they were not, not asking cabinet members whether they would vote for or against removing the president, but they were speculating this person would be with us, that person would not be, and they were counting noses in that effort. And this was not perceived to be a joke? This was not perceived no. to be a joke. Mm -hmm. It was also uh, said uh, at, at a previous time that the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, offered to wear a wire mm -hmm. into the White House to record potentially incriminating conversations with the president. A statement was released after that 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 was never serious, it was sarcastic, etc. McCabe, in our interview, says no. It came up more than once, and it was so serious that he took it to the lawyers at the FBI to discuss it. Mr. Rosenstein seems to deny that in a very carefully worded statement, though. It's very interesting how McCabe's version and Rod Rosenstein's version of that exchange. Well, Rod Rosenstein says that he never authorized wearing a wire into the White House, right. but that's not what we're talking about here. We're right. talking about discussing whether it was a possibility. Did you have a hard time keeping your face on straight while you're talking to him? Because he really says some jaw-dropping things. I did, Gail, silently say to myself during the interview, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And it seemed as though he was trying to reinforce how surreal and abnormal all of this was. He'd never seen anything like this. He'd been in the FBI his whole career. He'd wanted to be there since he was in law school. He rose, he had a sterling career, and became 
head of the prestigious Washington field office, the head of counterterrorism, uh, and rose all the way to the number two position at the FBI. And this was, without a doubt, the most surreal moment he'd ever experienced. Can't wait no. to see it. Yeah, Can't extraordinary wait. interview and reporting. Scott, thank you. And to everybody at 60 Minutes. Great to be with you on CBS this morning. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. And McCabe reveals more of his conversations with the president in Scott's 60 Minutes report on Sunday. That's at 7, 6 Central, right here on CBS. Just a fascinating interview. And once again, re- reiterating that the 25th Amendment, you know, was something they were considering. So let me get this straight. Um, the people of America vote in a president that nobody wants. They want Hillary. So during the election process, they cover for her breaking state secrets, basically committing a felony, things that we've proven on the show that soldiers go to jail for all the time. During that same time, a poor kid on a sub who took some pictures went to jail, got kicked out of the Army or the the Navy. Um, We then start this Russia, Russia, Russia. We first blame Republicans for stealing DNC emails. And in the DNC emails is horrible stuff. Them talking bad about minorities. Them pretty much saying Hillary's a shitty candidate, but it's all we got. It's really damning. Media doesn't cover it. Media, like Chris Cuomo, literally tells you you can't look at him. It's against the law to look at him. Only we can look at him. The Russia story doesn't get any traction because it's not real. Everybody knows it's not real. So they come up with a fake dossier that Comey and company, who are suppressing the investigation and new emails confirm FBI tried to work deal with State Department to minimize Hillary's email scandal. That's why we didn't really get all the emails. We didn't look at all the emails. We didn't look at Wiener's shit. We just pushed it off. He takes a fake dossier that they know was made by a liberal group to get wiretapping, which Trump said he was wiretapped, and the media made fun of him for his saying it, said it was a lie, he should be impeached, and we find out they did wiretap. They find nothing. So the director of the FBI, who is trying to get the president impeached, Anybody with an IQ above a potato and who's not a liberal knew he was working for Hillary. The two little email things where he, she didn't do anything wrong, but she did wrong things, but we're not going to charge her. And we got to look at Wiener with just him covering the basis. So they couldn't, after the election, Trump couldn't have any ammo and conservatives couldn't, the GOP. Hey, what about the Wiener thing? They were going to find that out. Then we find that all these people under Obama are leaking classified information to the media. We're handing it out left and right because we're afraid Trump will bury this. Two years later, we find out there is no this. They admit there's no S. There's just no this. There's nothing. So when that guy gets fired for doing all this heinous shit, the guy who's next up, starts a fake investigation again, convenes people to try to get the cabinet members to invoke the 25th and get rid of Trump. Is that is that it? Tell me where any of this would be okay under Obama or a Democrat. Any of it. Just one part of it 
a Republican candidate had a private server with top secret information. We could just go to the very beginning. When would that be acceptable? Steve King said white nationalists aren't all bad or something about white nationalists. He's done politically. You go back in the day, Trent Lott, done. Democrats are still in power in Virginia. The next time it came up, it's none of your goddamn business. Rachel Maddow, Senate Intelligence Committee Democrats dispute the claim. Ken Dillian, no, 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 it's it's good. Chris Saliza absurdly rationalizes DOJ attempt to remove Trump from office is okay. It's all okay. I'm not even reading it. I'll read some back. There's a lot going on there, or a statement from the president, but you get the gist. McCabe is a secret Democrat because his wife ran for state legislators one and one and Hillary Clinton to win 2016. If you're a Trump poet, this news from McCabe is confirmation that senior officials within the Justice Department were so worried about Trump's behavior in the office that they broached the unthinkable or movable. Proves just how abnormal and dangerous Trump is. I mean, that, that, there it is. That's it. I'm done. You don't have to say anything else. Trump's so bad, we can do whatever we want. We can crack on kids who did nothing but wore a mega cat hat. We can say every American who voted for Trump is a horrible human being because Jesse Smollett faked his fucking lynching. Are you serious? Who's the bad actor? Anybody out there, who's the bad actor? Under Obama stating... My number one priority is to make sure Barack Obama doesn't get elected was un-American, obstructionist, and racist. We now have an entire cabal, including an institution that's supposed to be objective, trying to overthrow a president. Yes, Trump's bad. Yes, his Twitter's horrible. Yes, he's not professional. Yes, he's not presidential. None of that matters. Understand under Obama, he wasn't presidential. He used a bully pulpit to tell half the country you're racist pieces of shit. He did a bully pulpit to get people to go out and protest and do violence and say, kill the pigs. He started Black Lives Matter. He used the bully pulpit to get the entire war effort that was done up until his point mute. Because he vacated the area. ISIS was born. And we've had millions of people affected. Hundreds of thousands killed. He did fast and furious. Personally, he did the Corrupt Foreign Practice Act that ruined my career. And hasn't been applied again. Because it's impossible to prove. He couldn't get the guns. So he did backdoor shit that it's impossible for American gun owners to get money. He did executive orders that allowed everybody just to stay here even though they were illegal. He pushed to get gay marriage, a state right issue, done. He used the IRS to go after conservative groups. No way in hell you can't say he didn't. 150 meetings on the record, not the private shit. 
But nobody thought about invoking the 25th. Nobody used the FBI to investigate the rightly elected president of the United States. Part of a democracy is dealing with the effects that sometimes you're on the wrong side of an election. For the last two and a half years, we have Antifa beating people, the media ignoring it. White people getting beat down because they wore a mega hat. Every American who's not a liberal being called a racist, a xenophobe, a transphobe, a homophobe, a xenophobe, because we want a border that these very same Democrats voted for back under Obama. We've had scandal after scandal after scandal that are all Obamas. From kids in cage, CSUs on fucking people trying to get over the border. Obama. Weapons given to ISIS. Obama. I am an independent. I'm very conservative on abortion, the border, war. I'm conservative on marriage, I guess, because I wanted civil unions so that religious people wouldn't be forced to do things they didn't want to do. It is almost impossible for me to ever envision voting for a Democrat again. In this podcast, they want no borders. In this podcast, and all the other podcasts, they don't even want the Constitution anymore. We talked about people toppling the government because Trump got elected, toppling the government because they want to enforce a Green Deal, voting in popular vote and going against the Constitution and what the framers wrote up, confiscating all guns, which is our next subject. Jesus fucking Christ! All because you lost an election? I saw somebody yesterday on a TV talking about how divisive our country is. And it was all because of conservatives. They won't change. Change what? We believe in a God. You don't. We believe babies shouldn't be live birth abortion. You don't. We believe it's the right of Americans to own guns. Legally. Legally own guns. We don't believe in a universal background check because what you want is every American to go to a dealer to or a, a gun store to sell their weapon to private sales. That's what's missing. The media is not going to talk about it. Nobody points out we do have a universal background check for all sales, including gun sales at fairs and gun shows. They still do background checks. They still go through NICs to get the lower receiver for an AR. That's all that you're checking. The bolt, the buffer, the buttstock. If you put an additional buttstock on. The upper receiver, the barrel, the pistol grips, and all the scary things you call it a weapon of war. Those aren't governed by anything. Those are accessories. It's the lower receiver itself. Just the pistol grip that's there, the trigger and the magazine well with a little piece of metal that goes off that connects to whatever buttstock you stick it in. That is all that is governed to own the weapon because the rest doesn't do anything without that lower part. That's the trigger. 
They still do it. And the reason why they don't want to do it, this is my rant as we go into 2A, is because the moment they do that, you're now making a list so you can confiscate them. Because nobody out there, Alyssa Milano, all these people, they don't want to get rid of just those guns. They want all guns taken away. They want Australia. And it has nothing to do with kids shooting. It damn sure has nothing to do with the shooting in Aurora, as we'll find out in Smollett, because I'm putting it in the fake bullshit. Because we'll find out why nobody's talking about it in about, you know, half hour, 20 minutes, whatever. You want confiscation. It's the same. I've been arguing online. I've got hundreds of retweets. I've actually picked up about 1,000 followers arguing with idiots. The reason why they won't do it and why I don't want us to do it doesn't affect my guns. I'm not a felon. I'm not buying any more guns. I have two ARs and two pistols. I'm good. I'm sitting on about 1,000 rounds of 5.56, 300 rounds of 9 mil, and about 200 rounds of 45. I had a hard time getting 45 for a time, and I went shooting, and now I need to go buy some 45. But I have enough probably the rest of my lifetime. I don't. I love my AR. It's a shooting rig. It's for champion shooting. It's fucking the shit. But I don't want it because you want to list. You want to confiscate. You want to take. It's the very same reason why you won't do restrictions on third trimester and are doing these live birth. Because you believe the moment we give up live birth abortions, which is the most ghoulish, evil thing I've ever heard, well, they're going to go for row. It's the same logic. Why would the 2A people want to give up their guns? If we give you anything, you're going to keep taking And more importantly, as I've argued for the last fucking two days on Twitter, we have a billion gun laws. Obama himself released felons on gun charges. Because they were black. So you can be black and have gun charges. Because the evil system puts you in jail because we're all racist or some shit. We don't enforce them. There's no hard time if you get caught with a gun. Doesn't matter. If we enforce the laws on the books, there'll be less crime. But it wouldn't take it all away, and it damn sure wouldn't take away school shootings. Because those motherfuckers would kill them with knives, rocks, doesn't fucking matter. Cars, vans, bombs, doesn't matter. The laws only apply to people who follow laws. And that's why they want the laws. They want to punish baby killers. Us, as I was called the other day. I'm a baby killer. Because I own an AR. My gun is killing people every day. Here's a soundbite on 2A. What is scan show? It shows it hit a branch of the pulmonary artery and veins. Okay, we're going to have to open his chest so we can directly visualize any other injuries. All right, I'll stand by and repair his hand when you're done in the chest. There was a shooting of school children in Scotland. Sixteen school children. What? When? Twenty years ago, a man walked into the gym and opened fire on a bunch of innocent kids. We still talk about it. We still cry about it. We still pray about it. And we changed the gun laws because of it. We said... Never again, and there's never been another one. My boy could die. And nothing will change because of it. No law will change. How, how can that be possible? Sir, we can't let you go past this point. No, no, no. 
Wait, hold these hands. You stop here for his safety. Let us save him. Let us save his life. He was just walking down the street. He was just playing his music. Hey, Mr. Lewis, look at me. Look at me. I got him. I got your son, okay? That was uh, Grey's Anatomy because there was a shooting this week so they cooked up Shanana Rhymes who has a transgender, gay people, boys fucking each other in a fucking ambulance and all the other extreme liberal things that they want to push into society. They cooked up an episode about gun violence. How extreme is the left on guns? The Los Angeles City Council passed an ordinance requiring companies that have contracts with the city to disclose whether they have ties with the NRA. Because the NRA is the reason people are dying. Not PPFA who kills a million babies. The NRA. Alyssa Milano. The below tweet instantly made me cry. People who don't believe we need stricter gun laws, I have a question for you. How is this okay? What kind of trauma are we putting our children through with these drills? Children deserve more. We need stricter gun laws. It was a bomb threat. It wasn't a gun attack. They were doing a drill for bomb threat because the school had had bomb threats. Her next, hey, 2A zealots, let's talk about the Second Amendment for a second. Gun lover, shut up, Melissa Lana. You haven't been relevant since who's the boss. I'm just practicing my Second Amendment rights. It's my constitutional rights to own a gun. You can't have my guns. My response to all you 2 Ayers is this. If you're in the National Guard, you can carry an M16. If you're in a house defending your family, well, the Supreme Court said that's okay, too. You have the right to bear arms. But, but, and it's a big fucking but, but, there's nothing in 2A that prevents sensible regulations. That's why you're not practicing your constitutional rights to bear arms with a pipe bomb or a sarin gas or a UE. We the people get to decide how regulated you are. In closing, I ask gun zealots this. Don't you want the country to be a safer place for your loved ones, for your babies? We only want regulations. We only want to ensure guns don't get in the wrong hands. We only want to live in a country free of a preventable gun violence. No. You want Australia. We have those regulations. Every one of these shootings is in a state that has strict gun laws. Aurora is in a state where you can't have a concealed pair carry, for Christ's sake. So I did this Ahalab. I don't know her name anymore because she blocked me. And I said to her, because she said it again, how do you look at your kids? How can you be a mother? And I stayed the following. How can you say this to someone, and why do you think you can? I rarely comment on the horrendous things said to D. Loesch, but today enough is enough. I'm a member. So is my wife. We have two grown kids and two grandkids. We, we are good citizens, and we treat people with respect. We just have a different view on guns. We sports shoot. We both have ARs that are secure and not shooting anyone. If your politics make you this rude to people, take a break or get a new hobby because it's not right that you feel you can disrespect others for a different point of view. For an example, me and the wife are pro-life. We don't call people with opposing views baby killers and we don't call followers of PPFA ghouls. We think PPFA is horrible, the institution, not the people. Why do you think you can call the people in the NRA horrible things? I think she then said, well, everybody calls me stupid and blah, blah, blah. I didn't call you anything. 
The recycled CNN town hall trope, you shouldn't be a mother. How do you look at your children's statement? It's horrible. And what someone said this to PPFA spokesman would not be tolerated or accepted on Twitter, but it's more applicable. PPFA killed 600K babies chemically, 300Ks medically. Supporters of PPFA kill no babies. Yet the NRA doesn't kill people. People who 9 to 10 illegally acquire guns do or who have mental illness do NRA members don't kill anyone but anti-gun call us baby killer hunters of people? Why is that acceptable? Why do I get rude comments for the sticker on my car, yet I kill no one? I'm a vet. I shoot for it's a hobby, and I shot an AR for 20 years and enjoy it. Thus support the NRA so I can shoot for sport. Not so kids can die, as the anti-gun crowd says. She then went grammar police. Grammar police is liberal 101 for not being able to articulate their hypocritical and extreme views. By the way, you just did. What you said, you didn't. We are child killers because we support the NRA. You are stupid. This is why it's useless to discuss issues with liberals. When you state how they are extreme for always calling opposing viewers killers, Nazis, etc., they pull grammar police and call you a killer. Liberals are for life, birth, abortion. NRA members just support gun rights and are evil. And voila, you blocked me. They can't articulate their views. They don't have views. They have talking points. It has nothing to do with the guns. It has nothing to do with school shooting. It has to do with control. How many sound bites have I played on this show? You need to treat Trump supporters like pieces of shit. You need to treat, not invite conservatives to your dinners and things. Maybe if they're ostracized enough, they will change their point of view. They believe wholeheartedly you have no right to believe what you believe. And how evident is it? Well, we're segueing into Smollett. It's pretty evident. I sat down with the Empire Star for his first interview since that night in Chicago. He opened up about what he's learned and the bigger message he wants the world to hear. What do you feel people need to hear the most? from this story? I think that what people need to hear is just the truth. It's just the truth, because everybody has their own idea. Some are healing and some are hurtful. But I just want young people, young members of the LGBTQ community, young black children, to know how strong that they are, to know the power that they hold in their little pinky. It's been two weeks since that night left actor Jesse Smollett bruised but not broken, and he's still processing the raw emotions. Have you ever been threatened before? Yeah. I get threatened all the time on Twitter and Instagram and DMs and things like that. It's like, but, you know, I'm a public figure. I'm very outspoken. Sometimes maybe too outspoken, but it's who I am, you know? So I get the idea of pissing people off, that you're going to rub people the wrong way. In fact, the week before the attack, police confirm a letter was sent to the Fox studio in Chicago with threatening language and laced with powdery substance, likely Tylenol. Do you think there's a link between the letter and the attack? Um... And you did mention it to the police right away Absolutely. about the letter. Absolutely. Um, just because on the letter it had 
a stick figure hanging from a tree with a gun pointing towards it with the words that said Smollett Jussie you will die black there was no address but the return address said in big red you know like caps MAGA did I make that up too and despite lack of video surveillance footage Smollett hopes to rewrite the narrative about that night saying he fought back against his attackers and reported the incident after his creative director called 911 he's supposed to be well known requesting a report instead the news was placed over the friend's neck I want that video found so badly because for probably four reasons number one I want them to find the people that did it number two I want them to stop being able to say alleged attack Number three, I want them to see that I fought back. And I want a little gay boy who might watch this to see that I fought back. And it does not take anything away from people that are not able to do that. But I fought back. They ran off. I didn't. What do you say to a young gay man, a young gay person? To learn to fight. And I don't just mean like learn to fight. I mean learn to fight. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? Um, I don't know. It's like Subway is open 24 hours for a reason. So that when you're hungry at night and you ain't got no food, you go to Subway. The, the camera facing north. How is that my issue? It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim, or Mexican, or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a lot more. And that says a lot about the place that we are in our country right now. Many For a hoax. Understand the same day this interview came out, an independent investigation was taking place on Covington. Covington investigation finds no evidence of racist or offensive statements by Catholic students and viral encounter media ignored it he literally decided to call everybody racist and if i was muslim if i had said it was a muslim that attacked me it would have been believed it's like subway is open 24 hours for a reason so that when you're hungry at night and you ain't got no food, you go to Subway. The, the camera facing north, how is that my issue? It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a lot more. And that says a lot about the place that we are in our country right now. Many. I have play-by-play all the way through it, but let's just get reporting that was better all along. Daily Mail. Jesse Smollett was filmed walking a house to the news around his neck after homophobic racist attack. Smollett was attacked around 2 a.m., but police were not called until 2.35. He was in an apartment with an associate. The 36-year-old actor still had the rope around his neck, so the attackers placed a noose around him. Smollett commented that they shouted this as mega country was corroborated by Wednesday by his manager. Morris said he was on the phone with an actor while he was attacked. When officers asked Smollett for a cell phone, he refused. He has otherwise been cooperative 
reported police are hunting for two persons. A neighbor also revealed that he saw two men loitering. He had a rope hanging around a sweatshirt, and they looked out of place. Smollett's famous family released a statement on Thursday saying he's grateful he's alive. Trump condemned the horrible attack. ABC7. Police investigating whether Smollett staged attack with help or other alleged being written off of Empire was the reason he wanted some, I guess, publicity? John Ziegler, current behind-the-scenes CW from those involved, Smollett case. Smollett got in a fight with a man he was dating and cheated on. That was one of the rumors that went out. The following is a statement from Chris Bastardi. He is the Vice President Head Strategy and Crisis for Sunshine Sachs and Avanti's Lawyer. Articles come out. Doubting Jesse Smollett is racist, according to Jesse Smollett. We played the soundbite. It's racist. You must believe it. The media said you must. Uh, today's show, Jesse Smollett said he's angry not only at his attackers, but also those who have questioned whether he's telling the truth. Out in magazine, op-ed, I believe Jesse Smollett, you should too. Doing the opposite is what you got us into our current socio-political shitstorms, says out director of culture entertainment, Travell Anderson. Uh, let's see, we got a grinder hookup gone wrong. Da 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 da. I suppose a healthy skepticism is warranted. As a journalist, our default is to question everything. We spent the better part of the last three years encouraging greater media literacy and uplifting importance of an independent verification and fact checking and the fight against the proliferation of fake news. And it's not at all that absurd to think that they celeb- that a celebrity might want attention so badly that they make up a story, especially one with such an on-the-nose details like two clearly racist, homophobic white guys screaming mega country. But many of the hot takes thus far don't seem to be constructive with the intent of confirming what took place. While it's important to allow police to investigate this case, it doesn't mean Chicago Police Department doesn't need a healthy dose of skepticism itself as is headed by Eddie Johnson who killed a black person. This goes through basically you're a racist, homophobe, piece of shit if you don't believe it. Chadwick Moore, if Jesse Smollett turns out to be a hoax or that he staged the whole thing, what are your predictions for left-wing think pieces? The funny thing, it's already happening. Orange Man, bad. It could have happened, and therefore it's true. Trump made him do it. Climate change and psychosis, what you need to know. that That's coming, I swear to God. Stretching the tooth for a just cause, right or wrong. Chicago PD covers up hate crime. I've already seen those comments on CNN. Already seen it. He was just starting a conversation. He finally cracked up under the relentless pressure that a hateful society imposes on a well-meaning gay black man who just wanted to make the planet a better place. That's what his Twitter feed says. Morning and evening nets spend over 101 minutes on Smollett case the day it all fell apart. Mediate. New evidence point to Jesse Smollett orchestrating the alleged attack. Given the information at the time, their completely acceptable responses, if they were posted in the last five minutes, would be entirely different, says Sean Reynolds, a reporter. CNN police sources, new evidence suggests Jesse Smollett orchestrated a cat attack. No airtime, just an article. Promptly backed up by Victor Blackwell, CNN. 
If Jesse Smollett orchestrated this scam and claimed he was attacked because he's a black and gay, the real tragedy will be all the victims of real hate crimes whose stories won't be believed. It is oh all over the net. Every liberal is saying it. I just want you to remember, while they're doing it, where's that goddamn tweet? S.E. Cup. The glee that... Oh, God, did I grab it? Oh, hold on a second. Let me find it. I thought I grabbed it. Uh, we're going to pause. you got to hear this. This was this morning. Trumpsters just proving my point all night. I comment for the first time on Smollett lamenting his awful and excusable exploitation of hate and division and call out their giddiness over this awful and excusable exploitation and they respond with giddiness. Her first tweet... The giddiness amongst amongst Trumpsters over the Smollett news is gross. This story is awful. He alleged abuse, police resources, exploited raw divisions in the country, and made it harder for every victim of a hate crime to report. This is sad, no matter what your politics. Well, here is the left's glee that their agenda was fulfilled by his faux story. I'm like really fired up tonight. This is how you have to be fired up. It feels impossible to not feel this way right now with the president and the vice president, Mike Pence, who, like, wishes I couldn't be married. Let's just be clear. (laughs) The vice president of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He wanted to ban that in Indiana. He believes in conversion therapy. He has hurt LGBTQ people so badly as the government of Indiana, and I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this, in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse. I don't know him personally. I saw, I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. This is what happens. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, You go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused, and they're going to kill themselves. And people are going to be beaten on the street. I have traveled the world, and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. This needs to stop. Jesse was attacked because he is a black gay man. Neither of those truths can be erased. Nor can we ignore what it means when those two truths collide. To live at the intersection of racism and homophobia means black survivors of anti-LGBTQ hate violence are 1.3 times more likely to experience police violence than their non-black counterparts. They are twice as likely to experience any physical violence, twice as likely to experience discrimination, and 1.4 times more likely to experience threats and intimidation during acts of violence. Your experiences cannot be erased. Our truths cannot be erased. 
Our lives must not be erased. We will not be erased. We will not be erased. We will not be erased. The violent attack against our friend Jesse Smollett is a frightening reminder that bigotry and homophobia is, is alive and well in America. Since the rise of the Trump administration in this Make America Great Again movement, our black LGBTQ family has been under attack by racists and homophobes. And racist homophobes. Between 2016 and 2017 alone, there was a 17% increase in hate crimes across the country. The FBI reported during that same period that anti-black hate crimes went up 16%. We can no longer pretend the difference between Trump's MAGA America and the America in which we live. It's in the White House. It's in our schools. It's in our communities. It's in the courts. It's time to put those who commit acts of violence against our communities. And the neighbors of that violence on notice. You come for one of us, you come for all of us. Keep your hatred out of our communities. Every time the media walks back on the truth, we must walk it forward and fight like hell to make it heard. We can make the world we want to see together. The measure of our love for each other is greater than the measure of racist hate. To all the kids out there, especially black kids, whether you're gay or lesbian, bi or non-binary, trans or everything. We see you, we love you, and we will fight for you. We got your back. We love you. We will fight with you. We're here. We are calling on the media and our elected representatives to condemn the hideousness of racism, of homophobia, and the monstrosity of MAGA. Commit to standing up for safety and justice no matter how someone may identify or how they may love. Jesse's experience is sadly not unique in today's America. At GLAAD, we send our love to our friend Jesse, who is a champion of LGBTQ acceptance and racial justice. We may not know their name, but there are many more people who live under the threat of violence simply for being and embracing who they are. We will not stop fighting for justice. I was sitting on that soundbite for this day. Soundbite. Sitting on it. I never played it. That's a bunch of fucking celebrities. Juno. We played that one. But the next one's now this. All those celebrities. How about the other people? Cory Booker. Fish's attack on Jesse Smollett was an attempted modern-day lynching. Nancy Pelosi. The racist, homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. No one should be attacked for who they are or who they love. I pray that Jesse has a speedy recovery and that justice is served. I bet you don't now, Nancy. Joe Biden. What happened to Smollett must never be taught in our country. We must stand up and demand that we no longer give this hate safe harbor. Amy Stinkin. Can we get anyone in the Trump orbit to condemn the two mega men who brutally attacked Smollett, a black gay man, and put a noose around his head? This is mega country, so others don't feel like your silence is legitimizing hate. The president had condemned it. Kevin Hart, who's now whooped. Sending prayers to Smollett. Why are we going backwards? Human right campaign. The shocking attack of Smollett is unfortunate. Not an isolated incident. There's an alarming epidemic of hate violence in our country that disappropriately targets black people and gay people and religious minorities and everybody. 
Giffords did it. Cuomo did it. TMZ Sharpton did it. Alyssa Milano we played. Michael Bennett. Yeah. I'm sure Michael Bennett, you called a lot of people faggots while you played football. The Hill, Camila Harris, violent attack on Smollett's attempted modern-day lynching because Booker said it, I got to trump him. Gabbard, Gillum, April Ryan, Empire star Justin Smollett tells cops his attacker touted Mega. She didn't research it. Avanti, Cameron Gray put together a litany. Booker's. Pelosi, AOC, this attack was not possibly homophobic. It was racist and homophobic. This racist and homophobic attack on Justice Smollett is horrific instance of surging hostility towards minorities. Sanders, Gillibrand, we are all responsible for condemning this behavior and every person who enables or normalizes it. That's all you Christian white people. Top Republicans, White House, silent about attack. No, they weren't. Mark Tancano, Mike Quigley, these are all representatives. Rashida Tlaib, when one of the most famous black men, we covered that one. The attack on Justice Smollett is more proof that MAGA is a racist slogan. Hello, Giggles, some kind of news source on the left. Bobby Rush, Maxine Waters, blame Trump for emboldening racists. I feel like I shouldn't have to send out reminders that homophobia and racism are cowardly acts, but yet, here we are in mega hell. Questlove, used to like him. Nico Tortorelli, Barry Jenkins, Olivia Nunn, who, or Munn, who fucked up six. It was a great show. Jesse Smollett was violently attacked by two white men who poured beach on him and put a noose around his neck. He was targeted for being black and gay. Reese Witherspoon, this is beyond upsetting what happened to Smollett, it's truly horrible, racist, homophobic hate crime, I hope we can find an end to the hate and fear that plagues this country, Mindy Kaling, Sean Hayes, I can't believe we still live in a country where hate is so severe, my heart, love and healing thoughts are all go out to Smollett, I'm with you my friend, Derek NAACP, of course, conservatives are calling Jesse Smollett a liar and attempted lynching. Mega people don't watch Empire as a new defense and the Jesse Smollett assault from the Daily Doll. You don't have to believe Jesse Smollett, but ask yourself, why don't you from Rewire? Jesse Smollett was victimized first in a hate motivated and violent attack in Chicago and has since been doubly victimized as a subject of speculation by the media industry and broader culture. Glad. Fascinating that these very respectable conservative journalists in Chicago are basically rushing to call him a liar. Joe McCare. Uh, color of change. Heartbroken over criticism after attack. You don't even want to see the truth. The vicious, racist, and homophobic attack against Mullet is a reminder of the real violence. Black, gay, all these important people. Not you Christian white people because you're horrible. Uh, let me see. Chad Griffin. That the perpetrators of the attack are reported to have wrapped a rope around the victim's neck and jarring, to say the least, and a surprise to many people who believe the lynching has been relegated to the annals of history. Bobby Rush. Chad Griffin grabbed some too. Uh, This is what courage looks like. Thank you, Smollett, for speaking out and telling your story in the face of such vile attacks. That was from CBS Good Morning. Chad Griffin again. He's some liberal guy at Think Progress. 
FBI statistics show that hate crimes against LGBTQ people, black people, religious minorities, and others are on the rise nationwide. When victims like Jesse come forward, it is imperative that they be treated with respect. Failing to do so will only push others into the shadow. It is just like Kavanaugh. We must believe people that accuse righties. But if they accuse lefties, we must have an investigation. So Eric Spencer decides to come with facts. He was blocked. Numbers from the FBI for hate crimes against gay people. 2011, 1292, 2017, 1,000. Amongst those, maybe 100 are real. But if you beat up somebody that's gay, they add the hate crime just to make the point. Numbers from the FBI hate crimes against blacks. 2011, 2494. 2017, 2300. Once again, probably not real A-U-N-word thing. It's probably you beat up a black guy. You're white. Regardless that the numbers are incredibly off, they clearly are not increasing under Trump. They're the same, they're less than under Obama. When we were also told Hate crimes against black people and gay and marginalized people are going up because Obama's president. Now we're told hate crimes against black and LGBT and marginalized people are going up because of Trump. No, they're not. But you use that line just like Nazi. It's repetitive. Once again, when everything's racist, what the fuck's racist? Pluralist. Twitter is dunking over Jesse Smollett, and it's brutal. And then they dunk conservatives. Then we go into fake stories. This is a fake story. To me, Covington is a fake story. You maligned Christian conservative pro-life people. That doesn't count because you have to be black, gay, or Muslim for it to count. This is just under Trump, and it's not a complete list. But it's the ones I could find really quick to put it together. Pundit Debbie Ashuzel sues Ann Arbor to ID Muslim reporting fake hate crime against her. That wasn't founded. Washington Post, black church set on fire by parishioner. But it went for a week that it was white people, racist, KKK, Trump hat wearing people. Muslim woman admits faking knife attack in New York City. An NYPT woman made up story about Manhattan slash attack. Police say a woman who claimed she was slashed in the face by a stranger in Lower Manhattan and it had you were fucking terrorist because she was wearing a hijab. Long Island woman charged for fabricating story about Trump-related hate crime. 19-year-old Adwoli Lewis of Baldwin told police Friday she was driving home when a group of four teenagers approached her yelled, Trump 2016 and stated she didn't belong here. Go home. All fake. New NYPD arrest Muslim woman who claimed attacked by Trump supporters. That's USA Today. Woman fabricated story being attacked and robbed by his job at Louisiana College by a man wearing a Trump hat. It was fake. Drake University student charged a race and nose investigation. Last podcast. Kid made it up because he didn't want to get in trouble for missing curfew. So he came up with a Trump attack. And then Teresa, Aurora, Illinois shooter is Gary Martin, 45, employee at Henry Pratt Company in the Industrial Park in Chicago. He killed five people. Do you notice how they're not talking about it? 
He's black. We got to take your guns. But we only freak out about shootings when it's a white guy. Because now you don't hear about Aurora. And I couldn't understand why, but I knew why. So I looked. And there it is. A black guy killed some people. That doesn't fit our agenda. It's got to be a white person. Fits our agenda when they're white. When they're black or people of color. No, we, we don't want to bash them. They're allies. They were forced to shoot people by the fucking patriarchy or some shit. The day this all broke. The day we knew yesterday that this was fucking bullshit. ABC ran this soundbite. It's going to be followed up by Kavanaugh freakout. Because I want you to remember, this is liberals. No facts, no statistics, no nothing. This is no different than Kavanaugh. They took a totally normal person, maligned him, his wife, everybody that was associated with him, all Christians, all white people, everybody's a sexist. And this was a protest they had during that. And this happens every fucking week. A fake story, freak out, and then it just goes away. And you never know why it goes away. Because it goes away because it's bullshit. So ABC, liberal freak out, music break. And we're going into the border. We're all still be pissed off, but less. Smollett told police two men assaulted him, put a rope around his neck, poured liquid on him, and yelled racial and homophobic slurs. Police say they have poured through hundreds of hours of surveillance footage but have found no evidence of an assault and no independent corroborating information supporting the actor's allegations. This week, Chicago police say Smollett turned over a heavily redacted photo of his cell phone call log. He told authorities he was on the phone with his manager when he was approached. Police want a more complete digital version of his call logs, they say, to help narrow the timeline. City officials continue to consider Smollett a possible crime victim, but say he will be held accountable if they suspect the actor filed a false report. The star of the show Empire told Chicago police he was walking back to his downtown apartment when the men assaulted him, battering him in the face, yelling racial and homophobic slurs, and putting a noose around his neck, investigators calling it a possible hate crime. He is a victim. And we treat him like a victim. He's been very cooperative. The actor and his manager told police they were on the phone during the attack. And while Smollett wouldn't turn over his phone to police, this week he gave investigators a partial copy of his phone records. But Chicago police say they are limited and heavily redacted, adding they need additional information to corroborate the investigative timeline. Smollett says he did it to protect the privacy of personal contacts. As for those who doubt he is telling the truth, I'm pissed off. As Smollett begins to make public appearances, questions are swirling over the actor's account of the alleged racist and homophobic attack, still not verified by police. The Chicago Tribune is reporting both men questioned today are black. Detectives say they've reviewed hundreds of hours of surveillance video and have not found any evidence of the attack. Investigators call Smollett an alleged victim who they still have questions for.
Tonight, Chicago police say they've identified the persons of interest in that grainy surveillance image and are now questioning them. One of those people is an actor on Smollett's own show, Empire. It comes after Jussie Smollett told our Robin Roberts he's convinced the people seen here are the ones who attacked him. And David, we learned just a short time ago that authorities actually carried out an overnight raid on the home of those two people that they have been interviewing, collecting shoes and electronic devices as evidence. So far, no one has been charged.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. I want to pass along from a, a, a question from a congressman who does not represent the border, but he is in Texas, Dan Crenshaw, who's a new member of Congress. He's been very outspoken in favor of the president's agenda on the border, particularly. Right. Um, and he wanted to ask you, he tweeted this, so I'm just passing it along. It's not something yeah. he didn't text me. Um, you know, would you, if you could, would you take the wall down now, here? Yes. Like you have a wall. Absolutely. Knock it down. I'd take the wall down. And do you think the city, you think if, this, if there's a referendum here in this city, that would pass? I do. Here's what we know. Um, after the Secure Fence Act, we have built 600 miles of wall and fencing on a 2,000-mile border. What that has done is not in any demonstrable way made us safer. It's cost us tens of billions of dollars to build and to maintain, and it has pushed migrants and asylum seekers and refugees to the most inhospitable, the most hostile stretches of the U.S.-Mexico border, ensuring their suffering and death. More than 4,000 human beings, little kids, women, and children have died. They're not in cages. They're not locked up. They're not separated. They're dead over the last 10 years as we have walled off their opportunity to legally petition for asylum, to cross uh, in urban centers like El Paso, to be with family, to work jobs, to do what any human being should have a right to be able to do, what we would do if faced with the same circumstances they were. What a proposal from Beto O'Rourke to actually remove some of the existing wall. He was talking about El Paso, but the idea of dismantling some of the wall, good idea, bad idea? Well, I'd have to ask uh, folks in that part of the uh, of the country to see whether the fencing that exists today is helpful or unhelpful. Um, but you know, Democrats are not afraid of national security or border security. Um, Democrats have funded border security for decades, um, and so it's not a question of not wanting to keep the country safe. But what President Trump wants to do is build a medieval-style wall out of concrete and one that will destroy um, not just the community but the environment. And it is a hateful message. I mean, he's, he's trying to create a picture of division and hate and derision. And but I'm standing in front of some, some of these angel moms who came to the Rose Garden today to, uh, I guess, testify to what they've been through uh, in terms of their ordeals uh, dealing with uh, crime in this country and the undocumented immigrants uh, that uh, were responsible for the crimes that took away their loved ones. And uh, you saw that moment during the press conference there when the president pointed uh, to some of these ladies here uh, so they could say, yes, uh, the, the crimes that happened to our family members, that those are real crimes. And, uh, you know, we we were just having a conversation just now, and Kate, I just, you know, I was just telling them that in terms of all of us here at CNN, our hearts go out to them. There is no attempt whatsoever to diminish what they've gone through or take away what they've gone through. Exactly. But as you heard in that question that I had with the president there, it was really about the facts and the data and this disconnect that we have when we hear the president talk about immigration. He tends to talk about it in ways that demonize immigrants and that, that just don't stick to the facts. And, and so... Uh, just wanted to point that out, Kate, that uh, some of these folks came up to me right after this press conference was over. Some of these very nice ladies here, and they're holding up these pictures of these loved ones who lost their lives. Uh, Ma'am, you were just telling me a few moments ago this happened to you as well. Yes, I'm a legal immigrant. My family came to the right channels, and this is my only son, Ronald Da Silva, who was murdered by a previously deported illegal alien. We need to secure our borders to protect American citizens. President Trump is completely correct on this issue. We need to protect this country. Okay, and thank you very much for sharing your story, ma'am. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for that card. Thank you. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, I, I wonder if you could comment on uh, this disconnect that we seem to have in this country where you are presenting information about what's happening at the border, calling it an invasion, talking about women with duct tape over their mouths and so on. And yet there's a lot of reporting out there. There's a lot of crime data out there. There's a lot of uh, Department of Homeland Security data out there that shows border crossings at a near record low. Well, uh, that shows us, un still, undocumented immigrants me, committing crime at lower levels. That uh, shows undocumented criminals or undocumented immigrants committing crime at lower levels than native-born Americans. Um, what, what do you I, say? I, to you, you, don't, you don't really believe that stat. Do you really believe what, that what do you stat? Well, Take let me a ask look you at this. our federal prisons. I believe, I believe in facts and statistics. Okay, and data, any more? Quick, let's go. Let me just ask you this. What do you say to your critics? who say that you are creating a national emergency, that you're concocting a national emergency here in order to get your wall because I, I you couldn't get it through other ways. Moms, what do you think? Do you think I'm creating something? Ask these incredible women who lost their daughters and their sons. Okay? Because your question is a very political question because you have an agenda. You're CNN. You're fake news. You have an agenda. Uh, the numbers that you gave are wrong. Take a look at our federal prison population. See how many of them, percentage-wise, are illegal aliens. Just see. Go ahead and see. It's a fake question. Yes. And he just doesn't accept it. And he won't accept it. He, 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 I mean, he doesn't right, accept well, intelligence that comes from his intelligence community if it doesn't fit with his narrative, and he's not going to accept facts when it comes from his administration when it doesn't fit with his narrative. It, he, he is, it, again, he was asked it, he rejected it, but this is, this is a he's, this yeah. is an emergency in search of, this is a crisis in search of an emergency. Yeah, it, that, it's, that's yes. what is this? Yes, but it, this has long been a position of people on the right, though. So he has a, a captive audience on this. And, and if you look at the, the angel moms, for example, who, yeah. of course, our hearts go out to. I mean, it's so tragic. You had a woman who lost 100%. her only son. I mean, whose who's heart doesn't break when they see that? But, but, I, but that's... Then when you put that up against the statistics, you know, it, it doesn't match up. It doesn't match up that every, you know, that we have a, a crisis going on where undocumented immigrants are coming in and, and murdering people. Of course, our system has problems that need to be fixed. And, and that, that woman said that her, the, the person who murdered her son had previously been deported. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I, I think everybody would agree with that. This is a short segment because the sound bites say it all you have Beto take down all the walls Gillibrand asks she goes yeah I have to talk to local but that makes sense let's just tear down the walls get rid of HHS demolish ICE and there's Acosta now I want you to understand something during the Democratic National Convention their angel moms the victims of police shootings had a whole segment that the media covered, all of them, showed their speeches, cooed about how brave they were. And a lot of them were liars. Trayvon Martin, proven in court. Brown, hands up, don't shoot. I can't breathe, guy. I don't remember their names. I'm sure I'm going to be called a racist for that. These were all people that broke laws, were physical with cops, and sadly died. Cops didn't go out and try to kill them. Cops, cops didn't lay, you know, target them. 
all the shit the media ran with, they were allowed to be on the stage. They were lauded. But these parents that have lost kids to illegal Indians, legal immigrants, or aliens, I like to call, that's how Acosta spoke to them. I mean, the wording, alleged. There's never alleged when there's a police shooting. There's racist cops grabbing their nooses and doing modern-day lynching, just like Jesse Smollett. Here's another soundbite of Acosta. Not even remotely able to stop being an activist even to people who have lost their kids at the hands of these illegal immigrants. They want to take over our country, be part of our country, be those good democratic voters with no borders, no ICE, no law enforcement. And President, just moments, perhaps seconds away from this announcement, Jim Acosta there in the Rose Garden for us. We, we saw people leaving uh, the White House there with, with photos. Uh, do, do we know who they are? Uh, Jim, we, we believe those are some of the angel moms uh, that the president has talked so much about out on uh, the campaign trail at rallies and so on. These are these are parents of of uh, victims who were allegedly killed by undocumented uh, immigrants. Uh, the president likes to, to point to these folks uh, who have been just through some terrible experiences uh, as uh, evidence that a, a wall is needed down at the border. Now, of course, you know, we've talked about this on numerous occasions. There are lots of different reasons for uh, why there is crime committed by undocumented immigrants in this country. But of course, uh, multiple studies have shown uh, that undocumented immigrants commit crimes and are incarcerated at, at lower levels than native-born Americans and so on. Allegedly? No, 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 Jim. Their kids were killed by illegals. People that aren't even supposed to be here. New HHS document revealed that unaccompanied alien children processed during Obama years included violent criminals, drug smugglers, and human traffickers. In the current bill that we just did on the border, and I'm not even going into it, it's horrible. They cannot prosecute coyotes. The little bit of money he got He can't actually build anything unless local authorities allow them, and it has to be adjudicated, has to go through a court, and it could take up to September to allow them to do anything, if then. And then after September, it has to be extended through Congress, and it basically is, he signed a deal that he won't be able to build shit. That's why he did the emergency. I'll cover the emergency next podcast, because there's plenty of sound bites about his illegal emergency. And there's actually facts that Clinton had a shitload, Bush had a shitload, Obama had a shitload. This is the second emergency Trump's done in two years. But it's unprecedented. It's always unprecedented when the Republican does it. Charlotte Democrats and City Council want CMPD to back off drunk driving checkpoints in immigration neighborhoods because it makes them feel nervous because they're fucking illegal. They're nervous because they have to prove ID and they don't have it. And so instead of actually stopping drunk drivers in the community, which tend to be a lot of illegal immigrants by Texas and Arizona statistics, 
We're just not going to do them. Because the city council, they want them to vote for them eventually. And then I could play a Maxine Waters, but I'm not going to. She's saying get out in the streets now. Basically fucking riot. Go out and riot because he's going around us. Because we made sure that anything we do, less beds, can't prosecute coyotes, you can't build anything. We just want these people in. We want the fucking border down, you xenophobic pieces of shit. And remember, we're now two, three segments in. McCabe, Smollett, and the border. I'm not even a Trump supporter. I voted against Hillary. But have you ever seen a president get treated like this? Have you ever seen the office disrespected like this? And you're going to reap what you sow, media and Democrats. Because the moment you start putting on the fucking uh, the tuxedo and start talking about principles and how he must treat the office in 2020, when it's going to be a Democrat like Biden, who says America's embarrassing. That's another great candidate over there on the left. Most of America's going to go, shut the fuck up. Your ratings are going to plummet when you spend all day supporting every policy. Gun confiscation, wall taken down, disbanding ICE, no law enforcement. All law people must carry bully sticks. You're going to be coppers like in Britain. Because that's your crazy base. And some of your crazy base are actually politicians. Let's start our Omar and AOC. Sweet God. Because there is nothing that this White House finds more offensive than a politician feeding into stereotypes about Jews and Jewish money and controlling politicians, which is what Congresswoman Omar is accused of having done. Is there anybody that doesn't renegotiate deals in this room? This room negotiates. I want to renegotiate this room. Perhaps more than any room I've ever spoken to. Maybe more. It's okay. I've been called on that a couple of times, too. You're not going to support me, even though you know I'm the best thing that could ever happen to Israel. And I, I, I'll be that. And the re- I know why you're not going to support me. And, you know, you're not going to support me because I don't want your money. You don't want to give me money, okay? But that's okay. You want to control your own politician. That's fine. I'm sorry. That was the wrong clip. That was then-candidate Trump in front of the Republican Jewish Coalition suggesting that haggling Jews like to control their politicians with their money. Uh, we wanted the clip of Congresswoman Omar. Control room, I, I want the, the Omar clip. Give us the Omar clip. There, it, it, wait, no, that's not it either. That's a deleted Donald Trump retweet from 2016. As conservative Eric Erickson tweeted at the time, quote, a star of David, a pile of cash and suggestions of corruption. Donald Trump again plays to the white supremacists, unquote. Uh, control room, I, I'm not looking for stuff about Trump. I'm looking for the Congresswoman Omar clip. Do you have it? Okay, I'm being told we have it. Thank you. Run it, please. Excuse me. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. No, control room. That was President Trump saying that very fine people were marching alongside neo-Nazis and skinheads and white supremacists, people who had chanted Jews. Will not. Yes, those people. The, 
the anti-Semites in Charlottesville. And my sincerest apologies. Can we please forget about President Trump for a second? Can we show the Omar tweet? Please, the Omar tweet. Can you show it, please? Oh, that's not, this isn't it either. This is unbelievable. This is a tweet by House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy right before the midterms saying, quote, we cannot allow Soros, Steyer, and Bloomberg to buy, in all caps, this election. Of course, that's an allegation by the House Republican leader, the three wealthy liberals, all of whom happen to be of Jewish descent, were trying to buy the election. Guys, I'm not talking about that either. Okay, I'm sorry. We're going to take a quick break. We seem to have some issues here sorting out which anti-Semitic tropes are offensive and which ones are not. We'll be right back as we sort this out. You apologized today, but what have you learned from your comments and the reaction to it? I've stated all of it in my statement. Do you regret your comments, Congresswoman? I'm pretty sure that was stated in my statement. Were you surprised by the, um, the criticism? Always surprised. Are you worried about losing committee assignments? Absolutely not. Thank you, Chairman. Um, thank you all for being here, and thank you for your uh, testimonies. Mr. Adams, in 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the iran Kortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. I, I, On February, that was it not, that was not a question. I that was the I, point, I reserve the right I'm to sorry. my time. It is not, it is not right. That was members not a question. Can attack On February 8th. Who is not permitted to reply. That that was not a question. Thank you for your participation. On February 8, 1982, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mosote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them. Girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so? From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes, sir. On February 8, 1982, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mosote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained troops. During that massacre, 
some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them. Girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so? From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch? That is a ridiculous question. and I Yes not or no? No. I, I will, sorry, Mr. I will take that as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question. Yes or no, would you support an armed faction within Venezuela that engages in war crimes, crimes against humanity or genocide, if you believe they were serving U.S. interest, as you did in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? I am not going to respond to that question. I'm sorry. I don't think this entire line of questioning is meant to be real questions, and so I will not reply. Whether you, under your watch, a genocide will take place, and you will look the other way because American interests were being upheld, is a fair question. Because the American people want to know that anytime we engage a country, that we think about what our actions could be and how we believe our values are being farthered. That is my question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated and that we uphold international and human rights. I suppose there is a question in there, and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela <clears throat> is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy. I don't think anybody disputes that. The question I had for you is that the interest, does the interest of the United States include protecting human rights and include protecting people against genocide? That is always the position of the United States. Thank you. I yield back my time. But our own Manu Raju found her quite unwilling to discuss the controversy when he asked her about it today. The president you traffic on well, I'm asking you a question about your tweet. You had a tweet saying the president traffic on the I, I, Yes, I tweeted. There's a response. You can run that. Have a nice day. Chad Pegram, at hearing Democratic Minnesota Governor or fucking Representative Omar brings up Iran Contra, Special Envoy for Venezuela, Elliot Abrams, asking if he would back genocide in Venezuela like he did in Guatemala. That is a ridiculous question. I'm not going to respond to that kind of personal attack. Brian Seltzer. This attitude from Eon, Minnesota. Don't, don't question me. Just quote my tweet as a problem on both sides of the aisle. Oh, really? Politician tweets are a substitute for journalism. They're starting point for journalism. Because that was a CNN guy getting dogged. What's wrong with you? On both sides of the aisle?
Bryant? No. Republicans can't do that. This is the left. Here's Menendez talking to the Daily Caller. I got my answer. I have nothing to say to the Daily Caller. Why is that? Why? Yes, sir. You guys are trash. Why? So we're waiting on the subway here. It's not going to be here for about two minutes. I'm wondering why you won't answer questions on the new green deal. Um, I won't answer questions to the Daily Caller, period. You're trash. Why do you think we're trash, sir? Oh, my God. Please. I mean, I just started. I'm an intern Thank here. You. Don't keep harassing me. The left always does. You're trash. Oh, but fake news is bad. Okay. Manu Raji, the one we heard in there, Representative Omar has no mood to talk about a controversy this week. First, she said no thank you when asked to comment on Trump saying she should resign. Second time I saw her, she yelled, are you serious? When I tried to question her before I even got my question out, the uh, second time I saw Omar angrily say, are you serious? What's wrong with you? GP, when a hard-left anti-Semitism is reduced to ranting at CNN correspondence, probably the left's most friendly cable news network, you know she's off the deep end. She clearly doesn't have the temperament to be a congressman. Does Isn't that how it works? Thousands attacked him for asking the question. Then articles spotted up. Michelle Goldberg, New York Times. Ian Omar's very bad tweets, left-wing anti-Semitism is a gift to the right. We're pouncing. There's pounces. Democratic leader rebuked Omar and called on her to apologize for her use of anti-Semitic tropes and prejudicial accusations about Israel supporters. It was a depressing fall from grace from someone who just weeks ago was being feted as a pathbreaker, a refugee from Somalia, who alongside Tlaib rose to become one of America's first two Muslim congresswomen. Omar herself has been subject to vicious Islamophobic smears. Oh, really? No, no, she's a fucking anti-Semite. Calling somebody an anti-Semite is not a smear. It's an actual fact. Omar herself is... I'm sorry. Attack for supporters of the boycott, divestment, sanction movement, which seeks to use economic pressure to secure Palestinian rights. Perhaps such criticism is why she sometimes seems unwilling or unable to distinguish between disingenuous political pylons and good faith calls to respect Jewish sensitivities. But whether from carelessness or callousness, her weekend tweet damaged her political allies and squandered some of her own hard-won power. Not long after Pelosi's statement, Omar released one of her own apologize unequivocally, she wrote. Anti-Semitism is real, and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and the colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. Personally, I'm happy to accept her apology. Progressive American Muslims and Jews should be natural allies. Our mutual future depends on deepening this country's embattled commitment to multi-ethnic democracies. Prejudice keeps helps bind the modern right together, but unchecked it can rip the left apart. Prejudice bond bind the modern right together, but unchecked it can rip the left apart. What the fuck does that mean? When was the last time... A righty said, let's BDS and Ali Akbar. It's a great day. That's 2012. It's one of her tweets. It's all over Twitter. During the deep struggle for this poor victim of being called out for what she literally does, MSNBC did these sound bites. I've got to ask you about your tweet 
from the plane against Congressman Omar. Uh, you read her out. Uh, we understand you want her to be kicked off the Foreign Affairs Committee. At the same time, Republicans were very slow to go and punish Congressman Steve King of Iowa, who is historically uh, critical of Hispanic Americans, and the president's Muslim ban. Can you understand how that creates a climate of toxicity on, in all directions? It's important that, that the leaders in the Congress take a firm stand against anti-Semitism rhetoric, and, and I, I, think, I think it requires consequences in this case. And, and what the president said about banning all Muslims in 2015? So, Andrea, what do you make of what the vice president told you today? Well, it's complicated because, of course, the Muslim ban per se was not upheld. There were other iterations of it before it became uh, country-specific, and that's what the Supreme Court upheld, not a broad Muslim ban. So I was trying to get at the whole issue of how Muslim Americans have been discriminated against and have been uh, categorized and profiled by this president when he was a candidate and since. There's a very heavy overlay here of politics as well. And it's the truth is that Stephen King, Congressman King, was not uh, punished by the Republicans until for years when he was talking against Hispanic Americans, only when he uh, said the most recent things about white supremacism was he kicked off committees. So there's a big tortured history here. And Vice President Pence is the strongest, if, if anything, the strongest supporter of the state of Israel of Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and of those policies of anyone in the administration that said you can criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic. You may remember the president was also criticized during the 2016 campaign for playing into Jewish stereotypes about money. Here he is speaking to the Republican Jewish coalition in 2015. And we just as a one one yeah. one Jewish money joke after another Jewish money joke after another Jewish money joke. I mean, he just he actually lapped the congresswoman about five times there. Yeah, he definitely. So did. I'm just wondering, is Kevin McCarthy going to call for his resignation? Because nope. I've heard Kevin McCarthy Steve, criticize Kevin. that. Yeah. Again, remember the star of David Picture? Do we have mm -hmm. the star of David Picture? Because when that went up. And they were uh, they were peddling in, in just clear anti-Semitism, ugly anti-Semitism. I didn't hear Kevin McCarthy or any Republicans. I didn't hear Mitch McConnell call for Donald Trump to, yeah. to, to, to step down. I mean, it's, this is, I, Mika, the hypocrisy is so extraordinarily thick here. Well, and Eugene Scott, you have a new piece out in the Washington Post entitled Ilan Omar and Steve King reacted to criticism very differently. Why that matters. How did they react differently? What are you finding? Well, we know that when Democratic leadership, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, called on Representative Omar to uh, apologize, that the representative did, and did so relatively immediately. Uh, when uh, Minority Leader uh, McCarthy called on Steve King, who has a history of making uh, comments that are sympathetic to those who are white supremacists or white nationalists, to apologize, not only did he not apologize, he doubled down. And very recently, we know he's put uh, led a fight to get back on his commitment. And he's taken that cue, one could argue, from the president himself, who has mm -hmm. no history of apologizing, despite critiquing how other people...
people apologize. In part because what he is aware of most is what his political opponents say uh, that are problematic and not he and his own tribe. And he does that because his party members, uh, the base, will not hold him accountable in ways that the Democratic Party will hold people like Representative Omar and even Nancy Pelosi accountable. The third thing, and this goes directly to Donald Trump, we are forgetting that what happened to, to in Pittsburgh in that synagogue. Yeah. And folk were invoking George Soros and the Jewish cabal who were funding the caravan and people died for that reason. Yeah. We're forgetting that Trump trades in the language of globalist. That word comes out of a white supremacist, white nationalist community to talk about a Jewish cabal that c controls the country, right? So from globalist to George Soros to what we just saw, this man's lifeblood, right, uh, is, comes out of flows from hatred and fear. This is his political lifeblood. So the idea that he's going to stand in moral judgment of anyone Mm -hmm. smacks of not only hypocrisy, but it's just absolutely ludicrous. Well, and uh, Republicans have, have been attacking George Soros for some time, uh, conspiracy theorists. There's always an anti-Semitic smear to it. You, we, we just showed you a, a Kevin McCarthy tweet attacking George Soros about the, uh, around the time of the Pittsburgh slaughter in the synagogue. Uh, it, it's it's actually it's an absolute game plan of, of course with MAGA and American flag right next to it uh, attacking George Soros sweet Jesus I have to ask you about your tweet the Joker Andrea Mitchell says for the plane against Congressman Omar you read her out we understand you want her to be kicked off the foreign, uh, foreign affairs committee at the same time Republicans were very slow to go and punish Congressman Steen Queen of Iowa who's historically critical of Hispanic Americans and the president's Muslim ban. Can you understand how that creates a climate of toxicity in all directions? And mojo being mojo. Yeah, it's the right. Okay, Andrea, an MSDNC fucking activist, in a rare vote, House sends a message on anti-Semitism to Eon Omar, 424-0, including her, that it's not right to do anti-Semitism. She voted for it. Yeah, it's toxic for the left. Because the truth is out. Dan Ariel, every attack on Eon Omar is because of her skin color and religion. American Jews must stand with Ehan Omar, Max Berger of Think Progress said. Rashid Tlaib, the hardest part of serving as Congress as a woman of color and as a first is how people hear you differently. No matter how much we take on the hate and stay true to who we are through our experiences, our voices are shushed and reduced. We aren't perfect, but neither is this institution that you want to disband. Every time the left fucks up, they're the fucking victim of Republicans pouncing. Jesus fucking Christ. It was so bad that Nancy Pelosi put the bill up. It wasn't Republicans. They had to do a goddamn bill to save her ass. Because... You, New York Times, say that she apologized. Then she promptly tweeted more anti-Semitism. And serious racist motherfuckers tweets.
What she did in that hearing would never be tolerated. The left was carrying it like she was the fucking greatest person ever. Look at her. Stick it to him. Yeah. Then we got AOC. This is Joe, and I actually called you yesterday. I was so out of my mind. My head was exploding. When you have Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who I find extremely dangerous at this point, I hope she doesn't tweet that, who are you, Donnie Deutsch, I don't care about you or anything, because basically she has Twitter following, and that's her, that's her power base, to basically come out and say, as, as you pointed out, what a great thing it is. We can take that money and give it to teachers. It doesn't exist. It's an abatement. $27 billion. We put down three. That's business. That's what happens. And <clears throat> you attach this to the Green Deal, and you are handing President Trump. President Trump now gets to go, oh, the Democrats don't want jobs. The Democrats don't want companies coming to your neighborhoods. The Democrats have a Green Deal that wants a 70% tax rate, that wants jobs for everybody, even if you just hand it to you, that just tuition, hand it to you. Socialism. We are in a dangerous place, and if people don't in the party don't start to speak up against people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is young and dynamic, but does not know what she's talking about, and her and her cohorts, some of these new, fresh, progressive faces, are going to hand the presidency back to Donald Trump. Right. Even Democrats, though, seem to be concerned about this far left. And I'm all for new faces and new voices, but them polling even some of the candidates that we're seeing run in 2020 so far left. And uh, they're saying, look, this should be a slam dunk for Democrats in yeah. 2020. There's an article today in the Washington Post, uh, um, uh, uh, an op-ed from a liberal saying Democrats need to be aware of their loony left. And we've heard the president on the campaign trail saying Democrats are going to turn this country into Venezuela. He talks about the Green New Deal, which most of the candidates running on, uh, on the Democratic side have in their own way endorsed this. Should Democrats but, uh, but be concerned? 81% of voters agree with the Green Deal. Well, they don't even know. The lawmakers, I don't even think, understand fully what's in this deal. But should Democrats be concerned? And does Nancy Pelosi need to take on a, a bigger role there in reining this back in? Because there's a concern that the Tea Party movement that we all saw with the Republican Party may happen on the Democratic side. You uttered two key words there, Nancy Pelosi. And, and in talking to party strategists and even some of the potential candidates, they point to her as someone who can rein in some of the impulses, mm -hmm. uh, make sure that a vote on a Green New Deal doesn't happen until people know what it is, because Joy's right, people might support it if they understand what it is. If and they, if they leave Ocasio's name out. If you, if you don't have a name mm -hmm. attached to it, and you don't misconstrue it. They're not right. taking away your hamburgers or your cars or your planes. You have to, if you present it accurately, maybe there's an argument. But you know, I had, I had an interesting conversation uh, earlier this week. Uh, Sherrod Brown, the senator from Ohio, yeah. was asked about the, the Green New Deal, and he said, look, just because someone has a good idea, these, these, these great energetic freshmen, if someone has a good idea, that's nice. Maybe it's something I do, but I don't have to go chase that as a presidential mm -hmm. candidate. Why are they doing that then? Well, I think it becomes uh, it becomes a new standard for everyone. And you yeah. want to be the Democratic candidate who's against the Green New Deal when you realize there's energy in the party for and it. And especially because climate change is real. And, right. and, a, and, and it's a, a real problem. And a motivating and, issue yeah. for Democrats. 100%. But the majority of Americans agree with a lot of it. Seventy-six percent agree with taxing the very rich. I mean, it's. I don't it's know who there. you're talking to, but I don't. I mean, you oh, I have clearly haven't source. been to Arizona I'll show you that my often. Source, but we have to go. Can you What's great is that our economy, our local economy, is already growing. So I firmly believe that if we want to take that $3 billion that we're willing to give to Amazon and invest it in our local community, we can do that. 
We can make those jobs. We can make 25,000 jobs. But we don't have to give away and, and allow our subway system to crumble so that Amazon essentially owns a part of New York City. We can create 25,000 jobs with mom and pops. We can create 25,000 jobs with companies that are willing to come to the table. But we, we should not be giving away our infrastructure, our subway system, our schools, our teachers' salaries, our, our firefighters' budgets uh, to a company that has not shown good faith to New Yorkers. And we can ask for more because we deserve more. You know, I think it's, it's really important that we understand that we need to invest in our economy, but we need to invest in our people. And to give away $3 billion to a company that has a history of worker exploitation, that's paying below what the cost of New York City is, is not acceptable for us. We need to have good jobs and they need to come to the table as an, you know, any company that wants to come to New York needs to come to the table as an equal partner. And you look at how Google came into New York, it was not nearly as controversial as this, and I think it's because of because they were willing to work with local communities. Oh, we're going to break a little more of that, Dan. Brent Shar, AOC made headlines worrying about how she afford rent, then she moved into one of D.C.'s most expensive apartment buildings. A member of Democratic Socialists of America got a big raise with her election to Congress, job that comes with 174000 annual salary. Told the New York Times she was concerned about how she could get an apartment. I'm not reading the rest of this. This is just breaking the fuck down. Natalie Johnson, the best part, AOC's new luxury apartment is only a few blocks from her office at Cannon, yet she drives every day. It only takes 16 minutes to walk there, but she drives. No media said anything about this. Her tweets, I can't even afford it. It's so hard. I got to take personal time and heal myself because it's been so much work fucking tweeting Donald Trump's a piece of shit and all white people are racist pieces of shit. Now she's a fancy apartment. Now she drives every day and she's the Green Deal. Then there's nep- nepotism and do suburbium. Hey, OC, a friend of mine who works in the house just sent me this screenshot of your staff directory from the internal congressional database. Contrary to your denial, it lists your boyfriend as being on your staff. Care to explain why you appear to be lying? Here's the rub. He was locked out by Twitter for questioning OAOC. WAPO. Conservatives can't stop an obsessing over Ocasio-Cortez. Their latest target? Her boyfriend. Somebody says, five millions on a Super Bowl ad to convince us you know how to do journalism. And this is what you come up with? Luke Thompson. He's not your spouse. Is he being paid? At what level? It says staff, not spouse or boyfriend. Furthermore, he doesn't appear to be in any groups and the House doesn't use Google. Are you giving him access to your official calendar? Why does he have his own email address? These are questions that would be asked of Republicans. And the left who just busted Maxine Waters for the very same thing, ethics violation for paying her kid like $300,000 a year, you'd think they'd care. So would the media. They would pale in the fuck out of her. Nope. Libby Watson, split, split her news. I really love the horny, conservative, angry at AOC for having a boyfriend genre. 
running parallel with Jeff Stein. We have now reviewed two House GOP members whose spouses are in the exact same database as the one on the right. As I've said, there's no proof AOC's boyfriend was hired as staff, and they're completely lying. We will know it when quarterly congressional office info is released. Amazing that Ian Thompson still hasn't deleted this, and he did with his other tweet. I found two House Republicans whose spouses are registered on the exact same database. Then they're still talking about the number one video on Apple is their dark money thing. I'm not playing it. Go back and remember, right after she got done speaking, 45 seconds of airtime. Oh, fuck it. Let's play it. 45 seconds of airtime proved that everything she just said, that all these leftists and Apple's pushing and Google's pushing and has been seen a billion times and the fucking late show fat guy played and said, oh, she's so awesome. Shake him up. Shake him up. Contributions aren't dark money, you fucking dolts. Well, I, I would say there are a couple things, for example, that uh, would not be. Chances or anything that, that, you know, could apply here. There are certain things that could not apply here. For example, the whole point of the article that she held up that I wrote was that you cannot use your campaign funds to make those kinds of payments. That would right. be illegal personal use. Right. Campaign funds are not dark money. They are totally disclosed, uh, right. so they are not dark money. It's worth noting, by the way, that earlier it was mentioned that dark money constitute about $1.7 billion. I believe that figure is uh, incorrect by a factor of about 500%. Uh, dark money constitutes about 2 to 4% of the total spending in U.S. elections and has always been involved in U.S. elections. So those are just a couple of points. And I, was, I, was, I, w- I did kind of chuckle at the question, uh, is it possible, asked of us, that, that these influences are, this money is influencing the questioning here. To that, I'd say that's something you have to ask yourselves if you're being influenced and see what you think. If you are, you might question yourselves. If you're not, you might question this hearing. Fucking idiots. Then Dan Riff, a policy guy. Private rooms, Fifth Avenue offices, hip replacements for octantarians. The public plan will no longer cover for them. Cosmetic surgery for the public plan to work. It can't pay for literally everything, which means there's going to be a market for these things. If it doesn't, oh, I take it back. We'll do the hip replacements. Blah, 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 because he got crushed. Because they're still trying to push single pair. Every billionaire is a policy fa- failure. Is one of her other... Oh, that's him. That's him again. Sorry. Um, finally, what happened to American exceptionalism? Just because other countries haven't built a system without co-pays or deductible doesn't mean we can't. Again, we cannot and should not cover every conceivable treatment or service, but nobody's perfect is a cop-out. Let's be better. Death panels! Every fuck... They dog-paling. They dogged everybody when this all came out with Obama... England, Canada, they they treat people at the end of their life just like that live birth abortion. We'll give them comfort. We'll keep them on morphine, but your money's done. You got stage four cancer. You fuck yourself. Your hips broke. And you're too old. We need that money over here. You can just walk around. Oh, you won't walk around. We'll put you in a wheelchair. Shut the fuck up. Gothamist. Big news. AOC mural on the Lower East Side that definitely kind of sort of looks like her. They're already doing this shit. But the funny thing, and why I'm covering it, passerby had a range of reactions to the mural. Fabian from New Jersey told Gothamist that she hasn't really done anything yet to warn her own mural. One woman speeding by shouted, AOC, with a raised fist. Another person named Bridget 
since she absolutely deserved the mural because she's a wonderful local hero. Even Ted from the Lower East Side had to agree. Yeah, that's AOC. She's probably not the stupidest person in Congress, so I don't know whether she deserves a mural, but people should know who she is. <laughs> that's a glowing thing. <sighs> Handout awards and trophies for everyone just for participating has done zero. Another grifter who can't make a living in the real world and has to grift to make money from politics. But the big blow-up is partly what you heard earlier. We're going to play it again. Anything is possible. Today was a day a group of dedicated, everyday New Yorkers and their neighbors defeated Amazon corporate greed. It's workers' exploitation the power of the richest man in the world. Amazon canceled plan to come to New York. After much thought and deliberation, we decided not to move forward with our plan to build a headquarter for Amazon in Long Island City of Queens. Amazon touting jobs. Has anyone fact-checked where the 25K number even came from? How many were promised to the local hires? But they refused to even consider hiring a union when we insisted labor be part of the conversation. Union jobs are key ladder to middle-class success. Oh, so it's a union thing, not a tax thing. Someone is moving the goalposts. Chad's Felix Green, who ended up getting killed by this because he got in a tussle with her. Amazon is a strict performance-heavy organizational structure demanding higher and higher performance goals at every level of the company from seasonal frontline customer service to VPs. Kasia, who has never had a real job, knows nothing about anything because she's a fucking total dumbass who just knows talking points, doesn't understand what he's saying is, you're right. They'll never be union because that's not how they're functioned. He wasn't saying unions are bad. He wasn't saying anything. Is that culture a strict performance why Amazon workers have to urinate in bottles and work while on food stamps meet targets? Performance shouldn't come at the cost of dehumanizing conditions. That's why we got rid of our sweatshots. Come for me all you want, but my job is to make sure that people are protected in society. Someone got to look out for the people our system is leaving behind, especially now when most of the wealth created is going to fewer people, those left behind are the majority of Americans. Felix Green. Liberals are fun. AOC, Amazon refused to consider unions and co-workers protested. Me, yes, Amazon is so obsessed with performance metrics and escalating performance, union culture won't work there. AOC followers, God, boot-looking union hat, poor-hating rich bastard. They don't know shit. Then another one, the one who put out the fucking Green Deal and said she didn't put out the Green Deal, but she put out the Green Deal. Congratulations, New York. We did it. Organizing dissent works. Now maybe that money that was going to go towards tax subsidies from Amazon can go towards fixing the subway. Oops. Finding out that being an Amazon Prime member doesn't make me an expert on Amazon economics. Oh, well, I'll keep the free shipping. I still think that anti-union corporation that mistreats workers and assists ICE and terrorizing immigrant communities doesn't belong in New York City. Why? Because her... AOC, all the lefties, the media let it ride, believe the billions of dollars they're going to get in tax incentives was sitting there. It's an incentive. It means they don't pay taxes. It doesn't mean you have that money. They weren't going to pay the money that they would have been paying. They were going to get $550 million to build their building. You might have that. But you don't have the billions of tax. It's not sitting there on Obama guy. Morning Joe brings him on all the time. Steve Ratner. 
This may be the most economically ignorant statement I have ever read. And it was towards AOC. Share our 25,000 job, new jobs plus thousands of ancillary jobs. Not a good idea for the people of New York. Pepperoni purists. Holy shit, AOC even gets, share gets it. Why can't you? Here are the two interviews she did and Sarah Silverman supporting her. I think it's incredible. I mean, it shows that everyday Americans still have the power to organize and fight for their communities and they can have more say in this country than the richest man in the world. What do you say to those that um, criticize them pulling out that Well, one of those things is, A, we were subsidizing those jobs. So for the, the city was paying for those jobs. So frankly, if we were willing to give Amazon three, if we were will, willing to give away $3 billion for this deal, we could invest those $3 billion in our district ourselves if we wanted to. We could hire out more teachers. We can fix our subways. We can put a lot of people to work for that money if we wanted to. Um, additionally, those jobs... There was no guarantee that those jobs were for the New Yorkers that were here. Uh, we were looking at, at a deal that was not primarily putting the community first. And I think that we can absolutely come together to create an economic plan that actually invests in New Yorkers, in higher wages, and in a dignified life. What's great is that our economy, our local economy, is already growing. So I firmly believe that if we want to take that $3 billion that we're willing to give to Amazon and invest it in our local community, we can do that. We can make those jobs. We can make 25,000 jobs. But we don't have to give away and, and allow our subway system to crumble so that Amazon essentially owns a part of New York City. We can create 25,000 jobs with mom and pops. We can create 25,000 jobs with companies that are willing to come to the table. But we, we should not be giving away our infrastructure, our subway system, our schools, our teachers' salaries, our, our firefighters' budgets uh, to a company that has not shown good faith to New Yorkers. And we can ask for more because we deserve more. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is the richest man on earth, currently worth $160 billion. Great for you, Jeff. I'm psyched for you. (laughs) Yet full-time Amazon warehouse workers make an average wage of $27,000 a year. That's like less than a teacher makes. According to some reports, warehouse workers have been known to piss in bottles. Contracted drivers have had to shit on lawns or inside their trucks to stay on schedule. Also, that you can get a $4 HDMI cable shipped overnight to stream new episodes of Bosch. <laughs> Jeff Bezos and many others, like the Walton family who owns Walmart, pay their workers so little that their employees have to subsidize their salaries with welfare programs. According to Forbes, Walmart workers cost taxpayers $6.2 billion in public assistance a year. The greed of billionaires is subsidized by taxpayers, a group that ironically does not include Amazon itself. That's right. Despite being worth $1 trillion, Amazon paid 
zero dollars in federal taxes last year. This is true. Billionaires cost Americans money. Now, Bezos and his wife recently announced a $2 billion donation to fund preschools and combat homelessness, and that is a lot of money, and it's going to do a lot of good. But functionally, it's relatively inexpensive damage control. Doing nothing at all, this guy makes a billion dollars a month. That's money that just happens to him at this point. Instead of making $2 billion grand gestures, how about paying your workers a fucking living wage? She's fucking clueless. They're all clueless. They hate Amazon. They hate Walmart. All those big businesses making all that goddamn money. Getting rid of mom and pops. Yeah, I miss mom and pops. But they provide jobs. You just gave up 25,000 jobs. And thank you, because Nashville's going to get them. Yeah, we'll take them. We'll give them some tax incentives to come here. Sure, they pay zero federal taxes every year. I don't give a fuck. They can halo jump in a fucking toothbrush when I need it. It's called capitalism. Dylan Byers, in an interview, Amazon Policy Comms Chief Jody Seth tells me Amazon pulled out of New York City because of three months of sustained opposition from AOZ, Jim My Van Bramer, and other officials. We decided we don't want to work in this environment in the long term. He did it as a negative. Most people go, yeah. Makes business sense to me. Then Schultz goes to the Green Deal. We'll segue. I read the 23rd. They're suggesting that every building in America become clean energy and conforms to clean energy. Just to put that in perspective, because it's not realistic, that would mean that between 2,000 and 3,000 buildings a day would have to be reconstructed to conform to what they're saying. So let's be sensible about what we're suggesting. I don't understand how you're going to give a job to everybody how you're going to give free college to everybody, how you're going to create clean energy throughout the country in every building of the land. I think it's immoral to suggest that we can tally up 20, 30, 40 million dollars or 50 trillion dollars of debt to solve a problem that could be solved in a different way. Yeah, he's not getting elected. Then Anderson and AOC, let's go. We're starting a 15-city tour and a 50-state campaign starting in early primary states to build political and public support for the Green New Deal. Everybody's asking, are, are you going to go fossil fuelless? How are you getting there? So an initiative to get a hand on man-made climate change and the undesirable consequences of such has turned into a social contract a political agenda. Who saw this coming? Somebody else. If you ever wanted to own a unicorn, you better buy it now. They're going to be sold out soon. The Onion. The carbon footprint of the Green New Green Deal has already reached dangerous levels as congressional staffers have been forced to furiously reprint revisions of the undocument of the document around the clock since the proposal unveiling. As Fox cut Tucker Carlson began reading the 192nd draft of the Green New Deal live on air, AOC began shouting to her aides, "All right, comrades, we need to get cracking on version 193.01c." Apparently, the 192nd draft mistakenly mentioned Democratic Passion Project Operation Roundup, 
a bill which would round up an all-white males for deportation right after they finished pulling the nation's weeds. <laughs> the office is producing so many rewrites of the bill that computers, shredders, and printers are overheating. But Congresswoman, shouldn't we slow down a bit? A staffer yelled over a fire alarm or web while weeping. Those printers are on fire and our fingertips clearly need medical attention. Nevertheless, she persisted. In fact, if any staff member complained about being asked to work on yet another revision of the Green New Deal, she promptly called him or her a climate-denying racist. As interns continued to deliver reams of paper and black smoke billowed from her office windows, environmentalists began to show concern. If her team keeps revising the Green New Deal, Earth will be lucky to only have 12 years left. Mark the top climatologist. More like 12 minutes and it goes on and on and on. It's so fucking right. It's so fucking right. Oh my God. I gotta now this soundbite. I'll save it for next podcast because they already have media because that's what now this is. Putting out propaganda pieces. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the others. Gillibrand, quick soundbite. Somehow, some way, Donald Trump is terrorizing transgenders. I don't know how, but she said it. Very accepted and very loved. Uh, and I want you to know that I will fight for you as hard as I would fight for my own children um, when President Trump demonizes transgender children. It breaks my heart because I know a transgender boy in my school community. And we watched him cut his hair short, we watched him dye his hair blue, we watched him change his name, and we watched him tell his parents that he wanted to identify as a boy. That young man is the exact person who should not be demonized by the President of the United States. That young man is exactly the person that the President of the United States should protect. That young man is a vulnerable young adult. He needs our love, he needs our protection, he needs us to stand by him. And so when this President chooses to demonize him or any other transgender person by telling them what bathroom they can go in. When he looks at our service members who are serving bravely and and sacrificing and putting their lives on the line and telling them that their service is not needed, a service he was unwilling to give is an outrage. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm running against President Trump. I'm so angry that he has divided this country demonized so many people, uh, divided us on every racial line, religious line, socioeconomic line. He's harming the fabric of our soul. He's literally tearing apart the fabric of this country. And what I know about America is our story is unique. Every generation has chosen to make a more perfect union, despite all our flaws. Woo, I'm getting winded, but my favorite was this one. Now I want you to frame this in Carly Fiorina, Sarah Palin, what was her name, O'Donnell, every female conservative you've ever seen, and how they're treated. These are the media people who are following Kamala Harris. Now, we've already talked on the show, she fucked her way in to get a job, she smoked weed, during the time she was prosecuting black youth at an incredible pace that some on the far-left race-hustling industry say was worse than Hillary Clinton's thugs comment back in the day. This is what they tweeted. 
Maeve Reston. We kind of forced Camelia Harris to try on this awesome oversized rainbow sequin jacket. She snapped it up. Alivitali perfectly named it a Mardi Gras jacket. Hashtag 2020 South Carolina campaign fashion. Then CBS. Well, that one was from CNN. CNN uh, CBS, Caitlin Huey Burns, who got ignorant when called on this. When the campaign trail takes you to a boutique and Maeve Rayston spots a great sequin jacket for Camilla Harris to try it on. Campaign fashion report 2020. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. NBC's Ali Vitali. Camelia Harris trying this amazing rainbow coat. To me, this screams Mardi Gras coat inspired by an inquiry from Maeve Reston of Campaign Fashion Report fame. Update, she bought the jacket with a rainbow and a star like a Hello Kitty shit. That was her icons, a rainbow and a star. Brit Hume, this is just embarrassing. So now journalists are going shopping with Harris, helping pick out clothes and then putting out glowing tweets about it? Casey Hunt. Nobody seemed to have a problem when the candidate Scott Walker and the activity was motorcycle riding, Mitt Romney riding jet skis, skeet shooting with Lindsey Graham. I'm all for female candidates expanding the list of campaign activities. Britt Hume. Talk about missing the point. Did journalists help Walker pick out his motorcycle, then gush about it on Twitter? Did they help Romney on with his life jacket? The Camila Harris shopping incident wasn't coverage. It was participation. Caitlin Huey Burns and the boutique Camila Harris visited today was owned by a woman who faces serious or oh, oh okay Annie Vitale the owner here has a wonderful story about how she came to open this thrift shop oh I got it I got it we're not going to actually say hey listen we're activists we want Kamala to win she's going to be the first black female Probably gay by the time she's done because she needs another goddamn check mark. She's going to say she's bi or polyamorous or whatever the fuck. Polyamorous? Whatever. It's not about the journalism. It's about we're supporting a person of color, you racist motherfucker. Your mom. We got political reporters from every major network following Camilla Harris around shopping and kissing her ass about her new ugly coat. <laughs> A million tweets. I can read them. It's no, not gonna. That that is that is perfect summation of our media. I mean, I couldn't make this up. They even did pictures, dudes. Pictures. Shopping with Kamala. Woohoo! All right, one last little thing. Then a soundbite. We're gonna go into hate tweets. Shirley Libertarian. The iPhone that AOC is texting on, the Starbucks coffee under her arm, and the Movado watch she's wearing were all made by greedy corporations. This is the poor little girl, couldn't afford to live in New York City, now lives in a high-rise limo to her office even though she could fucking walk. Walking in probably a $1,000 dress with an iPhone, a Movado watch, coffee. She's a fucking hypocrite. And we close with the best one. Here's Warren getting heckled. God, I love it. Yes. We're going to do this. So I thought what we do today, I'm just so glad you're here. I thought what we do today is that I talk a little bit, just kind of introduce myself, who I am, a little bit of my story. (laughs) We'll, We'll make this happen. 
and then we're there, we're there. Hold on, hold on. We'll get to lots of policy. I absolutely promise. Okay, be easy. Be easy. And then what we'll talk about is we'll do policy and we'll do as many questions as we possibly can. So I appreciate that you're here. What I wanted to start with today is to tell you, it's okay, it's okay, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, so I just want to tell you a little bit, let's start Donald Trump has taken a fictional thing, a thing that was just a, a campaign slogan that now his base is like, oh, no, we actually want you to do it. Like you said it in your campaign and yet it was a slogan. We just actually want it to be real. We're, we're and now he's about to go to court on it. We're fighting over a metaphor. Right. And, and, I, and I don't understand why we're so obsessed with the idiots who believe in the metaphor. The 37 to 40 percent of people who believe whatever Donald Trump is going to say, they're gone. They're lost. They're zombies now. And every day we try to figure out what's the cure for zombies, right? There is no cure. They're gone. All right, we have to just stop them from infecting everybody else. And the way that we stop them from, we stop this zombie disease from infecting everybody else is that we have to stop amplifying the lies that are told by Donald Trump. He should never be put on live. He should only be put on on a 30-second delay, and there's got to be somebody in, like, a box and box under him, just like if they were interpreting sign language, to explain to people that he is lying in real time every time he lies we have to that's the only way to kind of to, to we have to kind of cauterize the wound that is donald trump and his supporters and worry about the people who aren't infected yet wisconsin lawmakers wanted to mark black, black history month by writing a resolution and in it they wanted to honor the state's most notable black americans people like former secretary of state condoleezza rice baseball hall of famer reggie, reggie jackson but they also had colin Kaepernick on there. You know him. He took a knee during the national anthem at NFL games. He also gave 25 grand uh, to a local uh, educational effort there. The Republican lawmakers see his name, refused to let the bill pass until his name was removed. Let's bring in D. Lemon. So the Black Caucus is like, wait a minute, these are our names. Mm -hmm. And the Republican Party does a party line vote. I think it was something like 61-34. And they take him off. Yeah. And they replace him with other African-Americans, black uh, former politicians that I guess they liked more. Well, uh, boy, I feel a certain kind of way about this because there's so many things that you can you pull, put, pull people on and yank people off for. Um, they want to honor Condoleezza Rice. Listen, a great woman of color, a great black woman, right? She achieved things that mm -hmm. most people don't aspire to, black, white, or any other ethnicity. Mm -hmm. But she was also part of the weapons of mass destruction. So you can always find something in someone's past that, that can potentially disqualify them mm. from certain things. Arguably, though, what they don't like about Kaepernick is what it. defines I, him to the public. Yep. So I have to give a hat tip to Max Kellerman over at ESPN. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that exchange. I was watching yeah. live, 
And he made the point that I have been making all along. There are people who are professional athletes, um, but we're talking about the NFL now, who have committed crimes, mm -hmm. who have beaten people, women, on camera, domestic violence. They are getting and have gotten second and third chances. Mm -hmm. And this guy can't. Colin Kaepernick didn't break the law. Mm -hmm. He was doing what, what is a right to all Americans, to peacefully protest. And yet and still, he is suffering the consequences of that after he broke no laws, and he's trying to help out the very community that he's trying to bring attention to. Uh, I don't understand it. I think they're wrong. I think they should put him back on there just because you don't like it. That's your problem. But everyone has something in their past that people don't like. It doesn't make you any less of a great American, and I think Colin Kaepernick is a great American and should be honored for his efforts, whether you agree with what he did or not. One of the black lawmakers said, this is white privilege on display of these guys. Like the, We had to go to get the approval of the white man for which of our own race we could honor. Look, I don't know about it. I just think it's ignorance. And I, you know, I just think it's BS. People, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it white privilege, that is your business. I just think it's ignorance. And I think it's cherry picking uh, about who you think is a good person and, and if they're doing what you think is right. We all know what we all know what right is right. I think everyone knows in the back of their minds, deep in their heart, what Colin Kaepernick did was courageous and heroic. The um, narrative has been twisted, unfortunately, by the president of the United States. But I think people know he, st he stood up for what he believed in and he's walking the, the walk right now. All right, that was Joy Reid, some guest. Uh, all you Trump supporters, you're just goddamn zombies infecting people. And I had to get a cap thing. They settled, gave him a bunch of money. He'll never be able to play again. But you knew Lemon was going to race hustle it. Buck Sexton, from fake news to fat shaming, CNN is gold. Trump has gained four pounds since his last checkup. It's almost like Jim Carrey. The real state of emergency began in 1942 as Jamaican Hospital in Queens, New York. Definitely not human. Him doing another painting where he's pulling a chicken out. Yeah, that, that, that was a thing. Veep writer, staffer shaving Amy Klobuchar's leg, inspired joke. It's a well-known rumor. They literally talk in here that this is a Mediate article that she literally... Almost all the things in Veep was taken from Klobuchar. But the media's not talking about it. Okay. New York Times carrying bong water for Harris. Camelia Harris has faced a backlash for appearing to say she listened to Tupac and Snoop Dogg while she was in college. Before either had released an album. But the truth is more complicated. Oh, is it Really? Bong bong. And the New York Times is ready at a drop of the hat to provide the excuses. The truth is more complicated. For fuck's sake, it's just flat out gaslighting. Camille made up a stupid lie, got caught, and then the New York Times has chosen to carry her bong water and explain how a ridiculous lie has some basis in fact. TM61, the mule 999 said. Other articles. Camelia Harris was accused of lying about listening to Tupac and Snoop Dogg. The truth is more complicated. Conservative news outlets feasted. We didn't pounce. We feasted. The Hill op-ed compares pro-life movement to anti-vaxxers. 
It falsely accuses medical providers of executions, preferring to garner support with revulsion rather than facts. That's what the article says. Well, I thought it was the left that says vaccinations are wrong and pro-abortion that say babies don't feel pain when you stab them in the head and suck their brains out after 12 weeks, 20 weeks. Yeah, they do. The sick way pro-abortion activists celebrated Valentine's Day online this year. Valentine's Day is supposed to be a day about love, but pro-abortion activists have managed to twist it into a celebration of ugly, hateful act of abortion. There's nothing loving about stopping the beating heart, blah, 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 blah. Google aborted baby pictures and trying to tell me abortion is about heart and roses. Abortion is body parts and blood and has no place on lighthearted day of romance. Nayral, the pro-choice Wah tweeted a traditional Valentine's poem that started off in usual way. Roses are red, violets are blue, abortion is health care, and should be accessible too. Advocates for you tweeted, sending love and support to our abortion storytellers and anyone who's had an abortion this Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, that's a good way. Special shout out to abortion rights champion on the front line of this fight every day. They attached two images of bizarre pro-abortion Valentine that read, Rose are red, violets are blue. If you want an abortion, that decision's up to you. And abortion is health care, violets are blue. We'll win this fight because heroes like you. It keeps going on. I just, no, I don't want to. I'll read this one. Texas, let's have a romantic day. Relying, rallying for reproductive rights. Chicago Abortion Fund. What fun is Valentine's Day if you're not talking about reproductive justice and funding abortion? Well, goddamn, I didn't even think of that. No. Oh, Jesus Christ. Planned Parenthood Action. Valentine's Day is a day for celebrating love, romance, and yeah, we'll say it's sex. Of course, there's one person who has a special place in our hearts, Mike Pence. Today, breaks his heart and make a donation in his name. Yeah, literally. Straight to him. We fund abortion. Abortion is health care. Abortion is human right. Without abortion access, pregnant people, children, and families suffer. This isn't about politics. This is about life. Are you fucking serious? It's about life. Okay. And Gutemacher. Rose are red. The facts are conclusive. Reproductive health policy should not be preclusive. Even though the Gutemeyer is the site I go to to get all the facts because they don't lie. They got on the act. Are you fucking shitting me? Tweet of the day was Green Valentine's. I'm not reading what the left wrote. I'm going to read what the right wrote. Dawn, we must rethink everything we do if we are to save the planet, including giving of traditional Valentine's Day gifts. Learn to Morse code. Your laugh warms my heart. Your love warms my soul. The rest of me is freezing because they ban coal. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue, I don't want to work, and good thing AOC wants to pay me too. And I didn't catch the name. The joke's on everybody. My wife is getting more meat than she can handle this Valentine's Day, and she made them meat nuggets in the shape of hearts. Love that guy. My love, we would celebrate grand, but things are not going as planned. We dine together in Paris and reveal the pair of us, except airlines have all since been banned. Roses have thorns, they'll give you a cut. Who heard as bad as a speech from this nut? 
Roses are blue, red. Violets are blue. I'm unwilling to work, so dinner's on you. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee like the 30 minutes of electricity we get randomly throughout the day. I love thee like our monthly bag of government flour. I love thee like memories of air conditioning before it was outlawed. Nothing says love like hearts shaped tofu. What's for dinner? I guess that was a different one. My darling, have you tried the zebra? It's to die for. Bovine flatulent poking holes in the sky. Vegans banning ham on rye. Says our time is nigh. Let, let's vote them out, you and I. And the last one's from the morning spoo. How do I scam thee? Let me count the ways. <laughs> Woo! To a music break. News. Social media nuggets. A company always on the run A destiny Oh, it's the rising sun I was born A shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah And that's why they call me Yeah. 
That's why they call me Time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. My phone's just about dead from Democratic lawmakers' statements and tweets about how ridiculous they found that entire press conference and how concerned they are about what they see as an unconstitutional power grab from the President of the United States. I also think you're going to see uh, a fairly aggressive use of the oversight authorities of this Congress. I think, do not be surprised if Kirsten Nielsen ends up living in Rayburn, living in the House office buildings mm. over the next month. Nielsen could get called down here. CBP officials will be called down here. Bring down these decision makers for the Trump White House and make them own this. But I can guarantee that this Congress is going to endeavor to find out exactly who lost money and will bring them down in front of the hot spotlights and ask them questions about how that money would be spent. And the first time an F-35 crashes or there's a training accident somewhere based on military readiness, I can think you can expect Democrats to raise high holy hell about every dollar that was diverted from those programs to wall building. Yep, there we go. Back to the dim roots. The only time we talk about the military is when they dead and we can use when they dead, when they're dead, and we can use them as props. Straight out of the mouth of the motherfucker on MSNBC. This story surprisingly didn't make headlines, which is weird. Air Force removes first female Viper demo team pilot from position after two weeks. After just two weeks of the first female head. To head the U.S. Air Combat Command F-16 Viper Demonstration Team, Captain Zoe Zotnik was removed from a position by the Air Force due to lost confidence in her ability to lead the team. 
I removed Captain Kotnik from her position as the commander of Viper Demo Team Monday because I lost confidence in her ability to lead the team, said Colonel Derek O'Malley. It was reported on Fox News, which surprised me. That seems like a CNN article. I know that loss of confidence is a common response to the Air Force whenever someone is removed from a command position, and I think it's important to understand why we take this approach. O'Malley suggested Kotnik, was named to lead the demonstration team on January 29th, made mistakes during her short-lived tenure. Uh, but she, he wishes Kotnik continue to be part of the great service as good people like Captain Kotnik make mistakes. I want them to have their opportunity to learn from them without being able pub, under public scrutiny and to continue to be a part of this great service. Hmm. I wonder what it was. I bet she fucked somebody. That's all I could think. Uh, it doesn't say in the article. F-35B conduct stri- conduct strike in beast mode for the first time. The Marine F-35B, God, I can't read, Joint Strike Fighter achieved another first in recent weeks during an at-sea deployment when the aircraft conducted training strikes with an external ordnance load. The fifth-generation fighter launched from the deck of the amphibious assault ship Wasp over the Philippine and East China Seas with a load of inert and live ordnance for the first-of-its-kind training mission, according to the news from the Deploy 31st MEU, which is, I think, who I actually relieved in, or I didn't, but my unit did uh, in Afghanistan. I thought it was a 31st. The training took place between January 26th and February 6th. The Joint Strike Fighter, which is variant specified for Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps, designed to operate in stealth mode, carrying only internal ordnance to make the aircraft less detectable, and is what manufacturer Lockheed Martin calls beast mode, with a full complement of internal and external load. It's 22,000 pounds of fucking whoop-ass. It was supposedly carrying uh, Cat-M 9X Sidewinders, 500-pound GBU-12 Paveway 2 bombs, 1,000-pound GBU-32 Joint Direct Attack Munition Ordnance. Wow. And then they interviewed an F-35 pilot on flying the legendary A-10. It's like Chewbacca with chainsaw arms. <laughs> I'm not going to read the article. I thought that was funny. (laughs) It does sound like Chewbacca. The Army's upgun strikers have some serious firepower and one critical weakness. I fucking hate articles like this. Don't they know that units are taking that to war? Let's just put it in paper uh, task and purpose. This vehicle has this weakness. Um... The upgun aftercarriers are apparently hobbled by a major deficiency that makes them especially vulnerable in a fight in Russia or China. The striker infantry carrier vehicle Dragoons that are currently flexing their muscle at the 2nd Cavalry Regiment in Eastern Europe remain vulnerable to cyber attacks. Supposedly they can get into the computer. And then this sad story. U.S. charges form former Air Force Intel agent with defecting to Iran. What the fuck is her name? God, her name's Witt. Monica Witt, 
who worked for years in the Air Force counterintelligence an ideological turn against her country and defected in 2013, turning over information on U.S. intelligence operations against Tehran. It is a sad day for America. One of its own citizens betrays his country. This is why all the socialization of our military really makes us less safe. She wore a fucking hijab. What did you think? That's not xenophobic or Islamophobic. It's a reality. Don't you do background checks? I remember I got a flashlight up my ass just to be able to use a goddamn radio. And more of it comes like this. Sailors' combat death leads to Navy-wide policy changes. Navy officials are changing what a top admiral called fundamental flaws in its waiver and appeals process for commissioning programs after a sailor who was denied a chance to pursue a career as an officer was sent to Syria where she was killed. So since she was turned down for officer candidacy, she then died. So we got to change policy. Okay. What policy? Now all females get to go to officer candidacy school regardless? Well, what the fuck kind of policy is that? It's called war, dickhead. People die in war. The only way I could see this ever being a thing is stop loss. Yeah, that was fucked up. Hundreds of people, maybe thousands died on stop loss. They weren't even supposed to be there. That sucks. But they signed a contract. Part of that contract is going and fighting, and you might die. We close on a soundbite, which is very rare for Military Corner, but this was a thank you, Lieutenant Dan. And I saw the video with him listening to it. And if you haven't gone over and listened to Ben Shapiro's interview with him, it's just phenomenal. I think it was two Sundays ago, a Sunday podcast. Um, I love this guy. I met him. Anybody who's been the show a long time knows that Lieutenant Dan felt up my wife in a sexy red dress, and I look like Forrest Gump. We took this picture, hangs up in our bedroom, and I'm off to the side, and he's got his hand on her lower back, and she's got a big old grin. So I'm wondering if he was, you know, I don't know, I'm just kind of wondering. She did go missing that night. No, I'm joking. Um, He's a great man. He is just a great man. So here is a soundbite honoring him for his greatness. Hi, Gary. Jay Leno. Just want to say thanks for all you do for the men and women of the armed forces. You know, every time I go do a USO show or visit troops, I always get, Hey, Jay Leno, how you doing? You know who's just here? Who? Gary Sinise. Oh. In fact, he's been here three times. Is this your first time? Yeah, it's just my, my first time. Yeah, Gary's here three times. Brought us a bunch of stuff, too. Oh. Your commitment, your dedication, your effort, you are awesome. You are greatly appreciated coast to coast in the U.S. and base to base across the globe. Thank you for all the things you have done for our young men and women who have served our nation. And not only for what you've done for them, but what you've done for their children, what you've done for their families, what you've done to help them rebuild their lives. It's really heartwarming and so incredibly meaningful, all of the amazing things that you do. You motivate other people. You are making such a difference. I call you an architect of change. You've touched millions millions you set the bar more than anything thank you for everything that you do 
uh, for our warriors, our men and women all over the world. He was in the Air Force, I was in the Navy, and we're two great friends together, World War II survivors. Who would ever imagine growing up watching your movies uh, that you would be the hero to the heroes of this country? Hi Gary, thank you for everything you've done for us. The work that your foundation has done, especially with the Snowball Express, will remain a meaningful part of these young people's lives forever. You're doing the right thing because you truly care for us and that means so much to me and ev everyone else in this Gold Star community. As a proud military brat, that's my daddy, I want to say thank you. Thanks, Lieutenant Dan. I just want to thank you for everything that you do. And we're super excited about you and the Lieutenant Dan Band coming out. Your decades of service have shown us how to serve our country and our veterans. It's coming to you live from Mikasa, which is a Sukasa. As you can see, we're in front of this beautiful house right now, and, and we wouldn't have it had it not been for your kindness, your graciousness, and your wonderful gift of giving. You and your foundation helped me and my family recover from the devastating Cubs fire. Not only me and my family, but also hundreds of other firefighters. On behalf of everyone from Friends of Firefighters, we want to thank you for everything that you do, and we are sending you lots of love. A sincere thank you from all the fellows over here at Ladder 101. On behalf of Cotton Fire Department and all the first responders you've supported, we here in Boston say thank you. Thank you, Gary! Congratulations on all of your incredible work. I am talking very fast because you have a lot of people to get to. Just wanted to say thank you and let you know how much you're appreciated by me and thousands of other people. It is an honor to be able to express our thanks to you. Thank you so much. You are an inspiration and a hero. I just want to join everybody in uh, in in saying thank you. Thank you, Gary Sinise. Thank you. You are the real deal. Thank you, Thank you, Gary. From one grateful American to another. I'm grateful for you. We love you. You're my hero. You've changed people's lives in ways that I'm sure you will never know. Obviously, i got to do a lot more to catch up to Gary Sinise. you the man. Thanks, Lieutenant Dan. To our college crazy, the University of Memphis keeps Confucius Institute despite Chinese propaganda warnings. Yeah, it's a propaganda effort to have this program, but they're going to say fuck it because America sucks. You know, hey, those fucking communists, they got the thing right. College leaders oppose adding U.S. history and civics requirement to graduate. South Dakota college leaders oppose an effort to make U.S. history and U.S. government graduation requirements. Opponents of the state legislation say it would increase tuition and could even reduce graduation rates because they'd have to learn about their own country. That's fucking horrible. Yeah, terrible. In a headline that really, really makes... I'm sorry if I just burped and you heard that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking a soda, which I probably shouldn't do when I podcast. Probably shouldn't dip either, but hell, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday, and we woke up at 5. I need a dip to stay awake. Faculty, faculty admin at Ilian Omar's alma mater gave exclusively to Dems. Are you sure? What college doesn't? Linda Saucer speaks at UNC for, wait for it, Minority Health Conference. Yeah, kill them babies. Kill them cis normatives. And oh, by the way, kill white people. Ali Akbar. Williams College offers workshops so faculty can process their whiteness. Well, let's break this down. The Processing Whiteness Workshop 
which begin next week, will furnish opportunities to analyze and understand white identity, white privilege, and racism in support environment that focuses on experiences of the participants. The school's website states the assumptions seem to be that whiteness is a condition that disposes a person to racism and shame and therefore requires being worked through in a supportive environment. The group will help participate participants learn to speak about the historic, historical and contemporary implications of white identity and examine race and racism, identify implicit bias and well will feelings of shame states the event description group leaders will also i'm trying to put a sweater on sorry sounds really bad i'm sure uh group leaders will also help participants explore and practice allyship and interrupting racism it's important that white people give space in their lives to learning from and bearing witness to people of color's experience of racism you know what I call that? Brainwashing. That's a re-education camp. Yes, you're going to go to this class, and we're going to tell you you're a horrible human being because you were pulled out of the wrong crotch. Yeah, good stuff. Three female students sue Yale and fraternities, so fraternities would be forced to admit women. As long as the sororities open up to men, I'm down with that. That makes sense. At Cornell, nothing says Happy Valentine's Day like a Planned Parenthood fundraiser. $10 a person. They all had to come. The organization class council is one of 30 student groups at Cornell. It allocated $2.35 annually for each student. During the fall 2018 semester, Cornell reported 1,500 students. That fee by each student amounts to an operating budget of $35,000. A letter published in the Cornell Daily Sun that while student activity fee funds are spent by many individual organizations in ways that others may find offensive or objectable, the key difference here is that the class councils are meant to represent an entire year of undergraduate students rather than some small constituencies. He also expanded upon his distaste with the group in his piece, calling decision by the two councils completely inappropriate and extraordinarily insensitive. An article previewing the event published in the Daily Sun, Paulina Kelly, a class council co-chair, said that she was proud of the council taking on such a polarizing topic and being leaders in areas that are kind of controversial. The decision by the 2021 and 2022 classes councils is deeply disrespectful to pro-life, conservative, and religious Cornelians whose students' activity fees are being put towards a cause that many of us see as morally reprehensible and akin to murder. Brendan Dodd, another student who is the vice president of external operations for Cornell's College Republicans, told Campus Reform it's perfectly reasonable for pro-choice students to want to raise money for Planned Parenthood, but a body designed to represent the entire class ought to choose a cause less divisive. And I am sure there is no class council saying we're going to have a Christian seminar. That money will not be handed over. Oh, fucking to the hells no. Yeah. Then you got this winner. Pro-abortion university staffer calls for raping pro-life college students. Yeah. Purdue University staff members being investigated after he allegedly threatened to rape pro-life women during an online debate about the campus pro-life club's recent campaign. 
Purdue Students for Life group has been facing a heavy backlash this week after its members put up posters around campus that focused on how the abortion industry targets black women and their own born babies for abortion. In coordination with Black History Month, the campaign posters read, Hands up, don't abort. Oh, good for you. Black children are a danger race and include the hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's all facts. Sorry, lefties. That's facts. Majority of abortions done by Planned Parenthood are people of color. Thank you very much. On Monday, a small group of pro-abortion students and faculty held a sit-in protest during a pro-life club's meeting and demanded an apology. Life News reported, then on Wednesday, the team of Students for for Life reported the discovery of a violent threat against pro-lifers by Purdue staff member Jamie Newman. Newman reportedly called for the rape of pro-life women in an online comment on Live Action News. According to Student Life, Newman used his DISC account, Jamie Newman, G. Newman, excuse me, so I can't say it's not him, to post the following comment. Oh, I'm sorry, so let me make my intentions quite explicit. I did, in fact, offer to rape Tom's wife, daughter, great-grandmother, free of charge, even if I'm generous that way. Here's a number for the West Lafayette Police Department. Here's a number for the local FBI office. Drop the dime. I could strike at any time. The university said it's investigating Newman and his alleged threats of sexual assault. Local news station WLFI reports police are, are also investigating Purdue Assistant Vice President for Strategic Communication, Julie Rosa, obviously a threat of rape outside the bounds of any definition of protected speech. Due process requires that before taking any action, we verify the alleged facts. Oh, really? Kavanaugh, which your school supported, wasn't he supposed to be a Supreme Court? He didn't even deserve a hearing. It's always lefties. HuffPost feature. I wish I had a late-term abortion instead of having my daughter. Long story. The child came out deformed. I should have killed it. They use it as proof that uh, light birth abortion is a great thing. Oh, that kid's got blue eyes. Fuck it. Oh, God damn it! it's a boy. I already got a boy. I don't want it. Fuck it. Okay. And then Leah Thompson is back. Or Leah Torres. A Utah abortionist that we talked about before. I'm not reading the article. I'll just say what she said. I cut unbaby, unborn babies' cords so they can't scream. How is that lady still fucking employed? Mm. David Danielson didn't do hits on this because she's so horrible but during his undercover hits Danielson and his team did pursue they listened to abortionists talk over dinner about crushing baby heads joke about baby eyeballs falling out and discuss pulling apart unborn babies limb limb by limb they're fucking ghouls you'd have to be a ghoul to do the job I don't care what anybody says you couldn't do that job as a normal person you just couldn't. I saw horrible shit in war. That's another soda. I'm opening a second one. Sorry. I couldn't do that job. Couldn't do it. It's a baby. And the funny thing is, these are the same people that are PETA. PETA. 
eating meat murder and oh look what they did to these dogs in a kennel and freaking out and doing the goddamn humane society commercials that are all liberals that you know me and my wife you know we support that but we're not liberals and they show these horrible conditions of poor baby baby animals and ah but real baby babies fuck them motherfuckers then of course no new news after abortion victory democrats push for physical assisted suicide yeah that's a big push that's the next one it's all about population control, folks. You know, on a side note, we watched Alt-Right on Netflix. And, of course, it is from the Antifa way. And Antifa's not bad. They have Southern Poverty Law Center. They go, well, you know, they do violence, but... And they're not a hate group. So, you know, that pretty much says all that you need to know about Southern Poverty Law Center. You know, the guy that heads that, a, a gay, white male who hates himself and all that shit... Every group that's pro-life is a hate group. Everything that's conservative is a hate group. But they talked about eugenics. And how the alt-right, which they didn't really... I mean, they did do the Richard Spencers and the David Dukes and all them. But they were hinting, you know, there was there was just a little hint towards everybody's a Trump supporter. Anybody that voted for Trump. If you're not liberal, if you're right, I mean, it was it was a head nod that yeah, we're talking about everybody. During that segment, they never talked about Margaret Sanger. It never came up that she was the lead on eugenics. They never pulled out that oh, they give an award in her honor to Hillary Clinton. And probably Kamala Harris before she, you know, if she gets up there in the polls, which she's not right now. You know, they are all down with eugenics when it's killing babies. Hmm. Then we have this one. This was all over the internet. I just want to cover it. Ten historical photos and stories of drag queens. Now, they put this out to try to push the drag queen as normal. It's always been in history. And in the article, queens are men who defy gender norms and dress as women, have always been present in the LGBTQ community and pop culture. This journey has been long, but as a society, we have progressed to a level of acceptance with an unfortunate not always been part of our culture. And then this editor note. We acknowledge that not every person in this photo below is a drag queen, and that there's a big difference between a transgender person, a transvestite, and a drag queen. A transgender person is someone who does not identify with their assigned sex and will most likely not want to be referred to as a drag queen. A transvestite is a cross-gender male who enjoys wearing women's clothes, and a drag queen tends to be someone who dresses in women's clothing more for performance or entertainment, because they got nuked by those people. They nuked the other, like, five different reporters... Who pointed out that these are doctored photos. One is Edison. They made Edison in an old photo look like a drag queen. It was photoshopped. It's bullshit. Most of the photos were bullshit. Just bullshit. But that's how far the media will go to push an agenda. We'll just make shit up. And we do it all the time. Fuck it. Parents outraged after man who identified as a woman assaults 10-year-old daughter... And women's bathroom gets slapped on the wrist. In Scotland, which is no different than America, it's coming here soon, 18-year-old male identified as a woman was given a slap on the wrist by authorities earlier this month after assaulting a 10-year-old girl. According to the courier, the suspect, who goes by the name of Katie Dewalski, but looks more like a dude than I do, sexually assaulted the unidentified little girl in a supermarket restroom. March 4, 2018, reportedly grabbing the terrified youngster by the face, shoving her in the cubicle, and ordering her to remove her trousers. From the report, the girl had been sledging 
when the I don't I think I've taken a poop. I don't know what sledging is. When the assault occurred on March fourth, da 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 da. The little girl's mother is identified very very late down upon. Wait a minute. We try to find the fee. I I don't have any confidence whatsoever that he will not go out and do something equally bad or worse. The mother told the press because he got like community service. That's all he got. Oh, there it is. Sorry. The public will be better protected by imposition of a stringent community payback order. Yeah. I was right. It's community service. Yeah. But if you don't want your little 10-year-old taking a dump next to a man, you're a transphobe. There's no facts, even though I read one about every fucking third podcast of some transgender dude who's not a transgender, not a drag queen, but a fucking pervert going in bathrooms and assaulting women or videotaping women or being just whatever. Yeah. Even had stories where people have been fired from their job at Planet Fitness. Remember that one? Then we have this one. Lesbian booted from LGBTQ commission trans movement hurts girls and women. This is the one we've been talking about. I love this lady. Her name is Julia Beck. She's been thrown off this commission because she keeps saying trans men are not women. And here's her interview. Julia Beck joins us now on set. Julia, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So you said something that I think many people would in their hearts think is obvious, but very few people are willing to say out loud. You said it knowing you would likely be punished for saying it, but you said it anyway. Why did you do that? I believe in the truth. I believe that people should have these conversations and say things that matter without uh, fear of um, punishment. You are (laughs) old-fashioned. Um, why do you think, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm grateful that you have that attitude, but why do you think it was important to say this specifically? Well, when we get down to it, women and girls all share a biological reality. We are all female. But if any man, if any male person can call himself a woman or legally identify as female, then predatory men will do so in order to gain access to women's single-sex spaces, and this puts every woman and girl at risk. That's From the beginning, I don't weigh in on this often because sexual politics is a morass, and it's, it's not worth it, to be totally honest with you, but I have enough daughters that I, I care, and my instinct has always been this change in our society, which we never debated, the terms have never been clarified, is not going to be good for girls in the long run. Do you share that concern? I definitely do agree. Um, Like I said, this puts every woman and girl at risk of male violence, and this is already happening in many states. In many states, men can legally identify themselves as female and gain access to women's single-sex spaces. And sports is just one institution where men are taking titles, scholarships, um, and this is a problem. So it it seems like a real problem. Why wouldn't women's groups who exist to carry the banner for women raise the alarm about this? Women have been speaking out about this for decades, um, but we have been effectively silenced. Um, Many women like myself have been pushed out of spaces that, that we built, spaces that are intended to include us, simply because we acknowledge biological reality. Do you think, um, I mean, you're a lesbian, 
you were in the same acronym as a bunch of other groups, including people who are transgendered. Um, do you think that makes it more difficult for you to make this argument? I mean, it, it seems like this has been so politicized that you're expected to have a certain set of views that maybe you don't have. I see where you're coming from. I would like to make a distinction here. Um, the letters in the acronym share not much. <laughs> the LGNB are based on sexualities. They're based on sex, biological realities. Yes. But the T is based on gender identity, which is not based in biological reality. In fact, I would argue that it's opposed to biological reality. The LGB is very different from the T, and I don't think it's fair to lump us all into the same acronym. Do you, do you find it astounding that it is considered an act of bravery to defend biology? I wouldn't say so myself, but it's, I guess that's where we are right now. And I hope more women stand up. Last question, because I, I can't remember. What did they say to you? You were thrown off this commission. You were punished for saying this out loud. What was the rationale for it? Frankly, there was no case made. Um, my accuser said that they didn't have to make a case. Um, one of the members of my um, committee argued that sex was a thing of the past. He said, um, frankly, science had progressed so far that sex was import unimportant. Um, <laughs> I argued the opposite. Julia Beck, at a time like this, everyone thinks, so I would, I would say what I really think, but most people are afraid to, and you're not. And, and I'm definitely standing in admiration of that. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me. You know, it seems hypocritical that I support a feminist, but I said that long before this came up. Those have been the show. I've been saying it. I don't understand why feminists put up with this shit, because all they're doing is men who can't make it in a sport say they're trans, and then they go win the sport. It's been proven over and over and over and over and over and over. And this infringement where we have just, once again, black people, go fuck yourself, Democrats say. Go fuck yourself. Trans are more important. And gay people, fuck you, you got you got married, fuck off, it's all about trans. And women, we need to get all these rights, women, 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 believe all women, la, 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 fuck you. Trans women are more important. The Women's March even did it. Except, except for those crazy New York ladies we got at the end of the BLM ones, Jesus. Then there's this article, I, I just want to bring it up, it's going to piss people off. But listen to this headline. Four in five Vatican priests are gay, book claims. French journalist book is a startling account of corruption and hypocrisy, publishers say. Now, this entire thing has been, look at religion, Catholicism's fucked up, Catholicism is bullshit. That's all the media goes at. Why aren't they going at the gay people being pedophilia? It's never a girl, it's a boy. They ignore that over and over. That's why this book is not big. I got this off Drudge. It's not on the mainstream media. Nobody wants to talk about it. The fact of the matter is, gay people are molesting little boys. That's what's happening. Take the religion out. I know you want the map thing to happen. It's never happening. Leftists, normal leftists are not down with pedophilia. I'm sorry. It's it's way too far. You're not going to get there. But why is it, look at the gay people molesting little boys. Because that's what's happening. These priests are gay. They're perverse. 
they're horrible because they're in a position of power religiously. I'm not saying that's not a factor. I'm saying that's not the story. This book's making the story. Nobody wants to cover it because it doesn't go with the agenda. The gay people are the ones persecuted. Not the little boys being assaulted. Seriously. Another interesting. Everyone is poly. No one is serious. And other reasons dating in San Francisco is awful. So now they're trying to say it's no longer the gay capital of the world. It's the, the poly thing. And I, I've talked about it on the show. SWAT has a poly. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not down with the poly. No. You can't have two people in a relationship or three people in a relationship. It doesn't work. <clears throat> and then we got Captain Marvel. Brie Larson won't allow Captain Marvel media tour to be overwhelmingly white or male. Captain Marvel star Brie Larson says she's determined to make sure the Marvel movie upcoming press junket is diverse and female-led, pledging to Marie Claire UK that she'll keep the tour from becoming overwhelmingly white or male, even though that is your geek market. Your market is comic book kids who are usually geeks. Revenge of the Nerds conjures up when you imagine. Larson is starring as Carol Danvers in the Marvel Universe f- female-led superhero blockbuster due out in the first week of March. The hotly anticipated Captain Marvel draws on the character's long history and should be a key element in Marvel's universe next generation of films, but feminists, including Larson, are determined to make a movie a landmark about women. About a year ago, I started paying attention to what my press days looked like and the critics reviewing movies and noticed it appeared to be overwhelmingly white male, Larson told Marie Kerr. So I spoke to Dr. Stacy Smith at the UNC Ansberg Inclusion Initiative, who put together a study to confirm that they put together a study that found that of the 100 highest grossing movies in 2017, 67% of top critics were white male, less than 25% were white women, while 10% were men of color and 2.5% were women of color, the New York Post reports. As a result, Larson says she started handpicking the journalists she works with, giving preference to journalists of color who she believes may not get the same opportunity as other entertainment, and la la la, la 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 la. But I, I just want you to think about Sicario. Why do you think that idiot that what the fuck's her name? She's the one that did Mary Poppins. What the fuck's her goddamn name? Emily Blunt. Damn it. I looked it up. and I can never remember her damn name. Emily, Emily Blunt literally talked shit about her movie and it ruined it. And then she never came back for part two because she went out and said America fucking sucks. So here's this Brie Larson who wants to be the shit. I think she's a Supergirl. She's like the Supergirl. Anyway, she doesn't want white males covering it. White males are bad. That's your audience, dipshit. Let's tell our audience you suck and maybe our movie will still do good. If I was a white male geeky, I'm white male, but if I was a geeky comic book watching motherfucker, I'd boycott that shit. Panera Bread Socialist Pay What You Want experiment fails miserably. They actually had a, a, you could just pay whatever. And then they had to stop it because people didn't pay shit. Good for you. Chuck E. Cheese denies splicing, recycling, uneaten pizza pies in response to viral theory. There's no conspiracy here, they say, but that's pretty horrible. In our space news, which I do every time, 
the Opportunity Rover is dead after 15 years. It wasn't even supposed to make it over a year, but it is doing awesome up to 15, but now it doesn't talk back, so um, I wanted to mark it. And then a couple podcasts ago, um, we did the Adman Verk story, and now there's an article that he's fighting back. Now Verk is pushing back against what he says are false and defamatory defamatory claims. ESPN Rising Star Adman Verk has been fired by the New York Network, the New York Post, Andrew McCharge said, uh, citing unnamed sources, Verk is accused of leaking confidential company information to the media on multiple occasions, according to the source. After Verk allegedly failed to fully cooperate on ESPN's investigation, he was promptly fired. On Friday, Verk was escorted off to blah, 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 blah. In a statement published in a follow-up report by the Post Tuesday, Verk denied allegation that he leaked any confidential proprietary information. Verk issued a statement to the Post Tuesday night, pushing back on the claims and adding suggestively that there's considerably more to tell about the circumstances surrounding his, his uh, termination. Suffice it to say that I believe that I did nothing wrong that would justify my termination, and I categorically deny that I leaked any confidential or proprietary information. There is considerably more than I would like to say regarding my tenure with ESPN and the circumstances surrounding my termination. However, I believe that for now it is it, it is in my and the company's best interest to concentrate on attempting to resolve our differences rather than engaging in a very public war of words. Much as what has been reported about my termination from ESPN is false and I think defamatory. We, meaning me and my lawyers, what Justic Locke and Neil Brickman and lawyers for ESPN are currently attempting to amicably resolve my leaving ESPN. I think that while we are attempting to settle our differences, it's not productive for me to advocate my position. The leak allegation appeared to revolve around Verka allegedly providing the website Awful, announcing information that ESPN determined to be proprietary. ESPN, according to sources, felt Verk acted in a premeditated way, tipping off a reporter from the site. The Post has independently confirmed Verk was a source for the story about ESPN's baseball plans. Ben Koo, the writer of the story, declined to comment. Awful announcing report revealed that ESPN was moving its Sunday night baseball show from 8 p.m. slot to 7 due to MLB relenting on a contractual clause that called for the certain amount of baseball tonight shows during the regular season, March explains. The network feels Verk deliberately attempted to get information from his bosses that had not been covered in meetings and then quickly leaked them to the outlet. Once again, I'm only covering because I love that guy. College game day final will not be the same, and I just don't understand why they fired him. That guy's been a fucking feature forever. Just Unbelievable. And then a couple podcasts ago, also, we covered Unplanned. And I just want to tell you that Unplanned trailer is a number one in the nation on iTunes. Just the trailer. I am blown away by the response to Unplanned, the actor said. It beat out The Hustle, Yesterday, Aladdin, Teen Spirit, Avengers Endgame, Child's Play, Shaft, Chi-Town, and a bunch of other big name things and I can't wait to go see this movie because Abby Johnson has been a godsend a godsend to the pro-life movement because PPFA and the media don't touch her anymore they can't, they tried to take her to court she won and they can't touch what she's saying she was there she saw what they did 
She peeled back Wizard of Oz screen and found out they're fucking ghouls. To our lighter fare, we're going to do Mad Best, the greatest love song ever. I'm a fan. Your pussy makes me whistle. Your pussy makes me Lighter Fair. Uh, this was tweeted by Carol E at K A R O L I. What's wrong with this picture? 2020 Democrats to watch. Every one of them's white. Really kind of surprised me. Somebody tried to say, "Oh no, 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 that's not it. That that's that's really not it. No, no, that's not it. That because those are people haven't committed. Just it was all lies." They're still pushing all the white people. And surprisingly, no, it's not surprisingly. The people leading are all white also. Yeah, it's it's not Harris. No. Gillibrand's getting beat by fucking that nut job that says we need to pay reparations for slaves. Yeah, the Oprah lady is beating her. Another one, John and Yoko waiting for the maid to make the bed so they can continue to protest against the system that picture sums up liberalism they're sitting there in the robes it was never released because they were doing their love-in or whatever the fuck in a hotel and they're letting the maid change their sheets because the system is fucking hor- you got to beat the system dude beat the goddamn system New York Metro, after winning the fight for 15 minimum wage fast food workers are now battling being fired without just cause in the entire world nobody could have predicted this that's the next angle they're taking no cause yeah the cause is you're not needed that's the cause it's an at-will state almost every state's at-will nothing give a goddamn cause you're being replaced by kiosks because you idiots wanted 15 dollar wages and it's cheaper to buy the kiosk they'll still be a fry guy but that guy will be man you have to be a good fry guy now you're gonna be able to fuck around you fuck around and burn some fries, you're gone. There's 10,000 people trying to get your fry job. Then we have this soundbite. I, I got to play this. I wasn't going to, but I, I just got to play this. This is how bad the media has it for Trump, and it's comedic to me because they're talking about the Westminster dog, and they brought Trump in it, a dog show. Trump the dog and Trump, this is, this is once again, the most trusted Name and news. Facts first. CNN. Uh-huh. Uh, 
actually Trump the Australian Shepherd is named after the Trump card in the game of bridge, not the president. This is a president who barks out insults using the phrase, like a dog. Bill Maher got fired like a dog. Sloppy Steve Bannon got dumped like a dog. Kristen Stewart cheated like a dog. And the guy choked like a dog. Trump himself has been depicted as a dog led around by Putin. Critics have called the president a canine. When you lie in bed with dogs, you get fleas. In her book, Ivana writes, Donald was not a dog fan. She wouldn't move to New York without the dog. It's me and Chappie or no one, I insisted. Chappie had an equal dislike of Donald. My favorite didn't win either, which is the Ewok from um, <laughs> Star Wars. Look at this. Now, Scott Adams, who does Dilbert, I believe, came up with a tweet the other day that was so funny the Daily Wire did a story. Scott Adams, how long before we see Trump derangement syndrome uses a legal defense? Our honor, we acknowledge that our client Jesse Smollett faked his supposed hate crime, but he just couldn't help it because he suffered from extreme TDS. We respectfully request the civil rights suits against Nathan Phillips from lying about the Catholic the Covington Catholic High School students be dropped due to the fact that he was acting under the influence of TDS. Dilbert creator Scott Adams brought up an interesting thesis in a tweet on Friday about whether Trump derangement syndrome could be used as a defense. How long before we see Trump derangement syndrome used as a legal defense? Your Honor, my client was brainwashed by the media into believing the fate of the Republic was at stake. Science would back that defense. It's a real thing. The reference to the fate of the Republic could obviously refer to former FBI Director Andrew McCabe, who stated, but later denied, that he discussed the 25th. Adams went into more detail about using Trump derangement syndrome as a legal defense in his video. He also specifically discussed TDS sufferer McCabe. At what point will Trump or TDS become a legal defense? And it's a more interesting question than you think because the entire legal system depends on the illusion of free will. So we live in a world where it feels like you make your own decisions, but science keeps chipping away at that. And I want to say that it would be easy to get an expert, a psychologist, a scientist, a brainwashed expert to confirm that people are being brainwashed by their choice of media. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I humbly request that you find my client not guilty due to the fact that he watched too much CNN, which caused him to get mixed up about the apples and made him... Go TDS bananas. And now Adams brings up the possibility that McCabe was brainwashed by TDS to believe that the 25th Amendment could actually be used for a situation which it was not intended. It's pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that you could prove that. Let's say McCabe, and this is just, you know, hypothetical. None of this is going to happen. But I think you could get scientists to say that McCabe was literally brainwashed to believe that there was a crisis in the Constitution and that something had to be done immediately to save the country. So, but would that be a legal defense? Well, at them at the moment, it would not. You know, it might have some effect on sentencing, but you couldn't legally get away with that defense. Your Honor, Although my client is obviously guilty in being so completely stupid as to think the 25th could be used to remove the president for no other reason than he just didn't approve of him, I respectfully request that the sentence be reduced due to the fact that he has TDS. Adams also cited Chris Saliza, presenting two contrasting ways to look at the McCabe claim to have done regarding of the removal of Trump from, from office, which makes me wonder if the Dilbert creator is a reader of Newsbusters, since your humble correspondence wrote an article about this same topic on Friday. Um, 
He talked about the news of what McCabe said of the 25th. He said there are two ways to look at it. One of those was is that there's a deep state and they were literally trying to do a coup. So he says that one way to look at it, sort of the two movies on a screen idea in this his own words. No one no so no, one way is that is exactly what a lot of you think they were talking about a coup, but here's the other way. So this is Chris Saliza, anti-Trumper telling you that other things than that this evidence could suggest. He says this news from McCabe is confirmation. So this is, if you're a Trump opponent, remember this is the way he said it, so that's why I'm reading it all fucked up. You're a Trump opponent, you might think this is his framing. This news from McCabe is confirmation that senior officials within the Justice Department were so worried about Trump's behavior in office that they broached the unthinkable, removal by means of Constitution. The fact that such serious professional people, men and women charged with enforcing the laws of a country, were driven to such extreme action, or at least the contemplation of extreme action, proves just how abnormal and dangerous Trump really is, both to the presidency and the country. Now, this is sort of what I was explaining yesterday. The idea that in McCabe's mind, he he might have been a patriot, but only in his mind. Not in your mind, obviously. But in his mind, he might have thought, oh my God, I'm the last defense against Russia running the country. Yep. That certainly rings true. Extreme TDS suffered by not only by McCabe, but by millions of others, including almost all the mainstream media. But the way Saliza frames this is hilarious because it's framed as though there are two possibilities. There are not two possibilities. And the article goes on from there and a couple other examples. But I would not be surprised if that becomes a thing. I'm being serious here. These people, last night, we watched it this morning, Saturday Night Live, Cheadle was wearing a CCP hockey jersey from the old Russia. When he turned around, the number was 45 and it said Trump. The media hyped this so much that even now that they've said it doesn't exist, people don't believe it. The media doesn't believe it. I read one, Rachel Maddow. There's hundreds. They don't believe it. If they believe there is no Russian collusion, if they believe Smollett wasn't modern-day lynched, they have to confront that their entire reality is false, that everything they believe is false, that they are the extremists. And the media, Democrats, progressive, Antifa, they can't face that reality. So, the Dilbert dude makes a great point. I will not be surprised. <clears throat> There'll be violence. There's, there's always violence with the left. That'll be the defense. They believed it so hard that mentally they were unable to control their emotions. My last thing is a thesis I came up with the other day when I was arguing with somebody on Twitter. And, you know, I, I am sometimes surprised that people have not caught on to it. I'm going to play you a soundbite from now this, the one I didn't play earlier. It's a propaganda hit for the Green Deal. And then I'm going to play a soundbite that is done by an organization that the media and the left never talk about. They surely don't label it like the NRA as extremists. 
and then we'll discuss. For the first time ever, we have a plan to tackle some of the most urgent crises of our time. The Green New Deal. It's been put forward by Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Sunrise Movement, and Justice Democrats. Here's what it is. The Green New Deal calls for achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2030, guaranteeing everyone a good job and providing targeted investment in low-income communities and communities of color. That means upgrading every building and mode of transportation in this country, and upgrading our entire power grid to achieve maximal energy efficiency. Leading climate scientists have said that the only historic parallel to the kind of mass mobilization we need to avoid economic and climate disaster is the mass economic plan the United States underwent to build arms for World War II. A mobilization that created the modern American middle class. That's why the Green New Deal is not just another climate policy. Like FDR's New Deal, it is a call to redefine politics and establish a new social contract for America. In line with the economic and ecological realities of the 21st century. It is one where no matter the color of your skin, where your parents are from, or how much money you make, you are entitled to basic rights. To a good job transforming our country. To clean air, water, and food. And to a stable climate able to sustain human civilization. It is about firmly saying no one should have to live in fear of losing the people and places they love to a crisis that we have the power to stop. The original New Deal created the greatest middle class America has ever seen. But many of its promises were deliberately kept away from people of color and women. Today, the youngest, most diverse, and most female working class deserves a renewed investment that allowed so many Americans to prosper in the 20th century. The UN's IPCC report last October by the world's top climate scientists laid out in stark terms how we have 12 years to transform our economy and society to preserve the stable climate that human civilization depended on for millennia. We don't rise to the challenge. The wildfires, hurricanes, and heat waves that claimed thousands of American lives in the past few years will claim millions of lives within our lifetimes. The science is clear. The solutions are ready, overwhelmingly popular, and would create millions of good jobs. Now politicians have a choice. Will they find the courage to stand up to the fossil fuel billionaires who bankroll both parties? Or will they choose to condemn millions of people to a future without the livable planet human civilization has depended on for millennia? The Green New Deal is gaining momentum. Hundreds of organizations and politicians have already endorsed it. And nearly all of the major Democratic presidential contenders in 2020 say they back the idea. Now they all have an opportunity to back up their words by sponsoring this resolution. That's what any politician who wants to be taken seriously on climate and economic policy will do. It's time for a Democratic Party that fights for big solutions that match the scale of our crises. Climate change. Skyrocketing inequality. And deepening structural racism. We're going to be taking the fight for a Green New Deal to every corner of America. We're going on a 15-city tour and a 50-state campaign starting in early primary states to build the political and public support for the Green New Deal. If you're a Democrat running for president or for Congress, we're calling on you to co-sponsor and support AOC's Green New Deal. Somali woman who has a hijab getting sworn in on a Quran, a massive Quran. I stand here before you tonight as your congresswoman elect. The new Congress sworn in yesterday is the most diverse in U.S. history. Ilhan Omar of Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Not only do we have the America we believe in, but the America we deserve. 
loser. I am America's hope and the president's nightmare. <laughs> there it is, President Trump. Have some Somali tea. Are you there to cause chaos? I mean, they could hear us coming from afar. And I, <laughs> and and I, I believe they have been unfairly singled out because of their religion. Of course, the minute two Muslim women arrive in Congress, they're going to get attacked as anti-Semitic if they're critical of Israel. I think she should either resign from Congress or she should certainly resign from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Not right. That was Everybody not a question. Can attack. Do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement. Young kids who are being put in cages. That is, that is not in line with our values. They're really frustrated with their critics and they see hypocrisy among their critics. What we have is a problem of moral courage. The human collective mm -hmm. um, requires us to speak up when we see something wrong. Now the first soundbite now this, it is what I said it is. It is straight propaganda on the Green Deal. We now have a vessel. We can do what we want, which is total control of the government, total change of America as is, make it a socialist state, blah, 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 blah. You expect that one, right? That's what our media is doing. Every liberal idea, thought, bill, supported wholesale, regardless of anything. Whenever they do something bad, you're pouncing. Whenever they put shit in bills that is crazy, they don't even discuss it. The second one, as you heard, was about Ilian Omar. Now, we started in this show talking about how she's the victim, the media is saying. That Republicans are worse. Andrea Mitchell, do you understand how horrible that is in these times? You're, you're labeling her an extremist. That's just so dangerous. Because so many righties are going out and killing people. Yeah, That's not happening, but that's, that's what she was implying. <clears throat> that soundbite came from CARE, where she is the keynote speaker this week. CARE. She's flying out to L.A. to go to their gala. CARE is an Islamist organization. No media is covering that. I found it on a tweet. I researched Google. I went to the CARE gala. That's their piece on Omar. But you're a piece of shit. You're a total Islamophobic, racist, sexist. If you criticize that woman. But she's going to care. The House just did a anti-anti-Semitism law. But you're the piece of shit. And that's not even my post. My point. My point in my thesis is. Democrats lose elections, and that's how far the media goes for them. Really think, that's how extreme leftists are. They have full court press, positive media exposure. Example, Abrams. Abrams lost an election by 54,000 votes. It wasn't even close. She got to do the State of the Union speech. She was on record saying that illegals were the blue wave and should be able to vote in the election of governor of fucking Georgia. She had every major network shilling for her, every major network carrying conspiracy theories that her opponent was rigging the vote. 
stealing the election. She still lost. That's how extreme they are. These people have nothing but positive coverage. Whenever they fuck up, you're the asshole who pounced on it. You're the sexist because it's a woman. Uh, Camelia Harris, uh, That this is a small business person of color. They totally go off subject, even though the whole world's going, what the fuck are you doing? You're a journalist. How... How do they lose? Because they're extremists. You never hear a Democrat get negative news in the national press when they're running for election. It doesn't matter what they do. They push them. And local election gets national spotlight. They're that extreme that people still don't vote for them. On the inverse... How the fuck does a Republican ever win? How do we win elections as conservatives? I'm not a Republican, but I'm a conservative. How do you win when you're going against that? The only answer is that's how fucking out of touch liberals are. That they still lose elections. Under Obama, a thousand seats were lost. And all those thousand seats had nothing but positive coverage by the media. Nothing but PR promotion. Propaganda pieces. Like you just heard by now this. That is nothing but propaganda. On a deal that was talking about fucking redoing every building, getting rid of fossil fuels, no air travel, and farting motherfucking cows. So crazy that a meme of pissing in jugs and using it for coffee really wasn't a stretch. I mean, I initially thought it was real. I mean, it was so crazy, so poorly written, so defunct of professionalism. You know how media, the mainstream media, promoting it as a great thing, not even digging in or tearing apart and just saying pouncing, 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 and then supporting a lie that it was a draft and it wasn't supposed to be posted. They went all in. And now you have now this and many others that I'll find doing full-fledged propaganda on a piece of shit that has more to do with reconstruction of America than climate change. And I kind of walked away with a feeling of hope for America. That even with this unrelenting media that does anything the left does, protects them from any scandals, and promotes their very essence, I mean, everything about them, with statements like morally justified, facts don't matter, the morally rightness matters, and all this crazy shit we do on this show, they still lose. Common sense still prevails. And I walked away with hope. For the first time in a long time, I had hope. The American people still can see through the bullshit and they still vote for people that have America first. Make America great is nothing more than hope and change. It's the same concept. You're trying to lure people to a vote with a concept of change. Every election's that way. And it doesn't matter how hard the media pushed against it, the xenophobic, racist, sexist, and all that other bullshit... Americans saw, electorally, 
that that was better than more of the same America sucks and must be restructured. Abortions are the right to passage of womanhood. You don't need your guns. We're going to bow down to the entire world. And it worked. But it's amazing. It's just amazing that they still lose and Republicans actually get to win and independents get to win and conservative people actually get the win when they have to face all of that. There's a lot of Republican pundits that say the same thing. Republicans have to be factually correct all the time because the media holds them to that standard. Democrats don't have to be factually correct. They can just make up bullshit and nobody's going to pick it apart. And I think that's actually their downfall. Because when you get into a meeting like Elizabeth Warren did, why July? That question right there, and I saved it to talk now in my closing, nobody in our media has done that. But a citizen did. Because as a citizen, we're actually holding these people to the same standard, regardless of the D and R. Whereas our media only looks at the R. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments about the track by sending an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Check out our Facebook page at at FOP Podcast, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and Twitter at at FOP Tony Reed. F-O-P-T-O-N-Y-R-E-E-D. Our next podcast, we're going to shoot for Thursday, 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 21 February, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, have a safe week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs and, t- and tune back in Thursday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Until then, and as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Make sure to check out our webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Until next time, remember it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah.